You're listening to the Pullbox Podcast, the international graphic novel book club. Here are your hosts, Curtis Finley and Michael Cohen. Hello and welcome back to the Pullbox Podcast. This is our seventh episode. I am one of your hosts, Michael Cohen. And I'm the other host, Curtis Findlay. And we have a special guest with us. That's wonderful. Who is it? Uh, Tony Cliff, the author and artist of, of Delilah Dirk and the Turkish Lieutenant, which we talked about last month. Right. And, and now here he is to, uh, to talk to us this month and to join in on, on the whole episode. It's not just uh, one of those little interviews that we'll snip in and then snip out. No, you, you even you, you picked one of the books. Hi, Tony. I did indeed. Hello, my name is Tony Cliff. This is the sound of my voice. Wonderful. <laughs> Hopefully it doesn't sound like one of our voices. <laughs> so what are we cool. reading today? Or uh, what are we talking about? Okay, so uh, our, our picks for this month. Mine was Star Wars Dark Empire Trilogy, uh, which was all three books if you can really count that last one as a as an entire book it's not really <laughs> <laughs> of the dark empire story uh and uh curtis your pick was it's a good life if you don't weaken by seth and uh and our last pick uh, tony's pick was tale of sand which is kind of by jim henson uh also uh jerry, jerry jewel okay and uh and uh ramon k perez uh, so let's uh, let's before we get into our our comics themselves, let's uh, let's let's ask Tony some questions about <laughs> about Delilah Dirk. Let's yeah. talk about that. Well, um, we were thrilled to find out that you are uh, you're here in town, so you could actually physically come and talk to us rather than over Skype or something. Um, are you <laughs> born and raised here, or from somewhere else? Uh, no, yeah, I, I was indeed in uh, in Richmond actually. Um, yeah, born and raised. Grew up in Richmond, went to high school there, had a bunch of fantastic um, <laughs> art teachers in high school and stuff. But uh, no, I, yeah, I spent my whole life, except for a few years uh, down in California, I spent my whole life uh, up here in Vancouver, which surprises some people for for a reason that I am not entirely sure. Right. Yeah. Same uh, with me. I mean, are you? You're, no, you're not from around here. No, I am. I'm also from Richmond, but uh, lived the first ten years of my life in Richmond, and then. In Penticton, yeah. oh, okay, <laughs> that's what I was back. thinking. Yeah, and I was yeah. born and raised in Burnaby, and so yeah, when, when people say, "What you you're from Vancouver?" It's such an <laughs> odd thing, yeah, because uh, most people that you meet are from other places, yeah, Toronto or all over, yeah. all over the place. Um, but yeah, so <laughs> we have three people in this room <laughs> that are, are all are born and raised here in Vancouver, Greater Vancouver. That's really now, cool. of course, the elephant in the room here that uh, your listeners can't don't understand right now is that Mike and I are white guys. Oh yeah. So that might have something to do. <laughs> yeah, maybe. In your case. I, I'm half white. I'm half Chinese. So there's a I don't know, but both of my parents were born and raised in Vancouver as well. One from Kitsilano and the other in West Van. And in fact, my grandparents on both sides are all Canadian, also. So uh, I'm Canadian. Uh, goes a long way back. Yeah, yeah. we yeah. we've all seen those uh, that video online with the, where the oh, it's, it's, I think it's set in California or something. There's a girl and she's jogging. Yeah, and she goes up to the white guy and yeah. starts asking. And anyway, this is a derailing, but it's true. Um, I get those questions. I do get those questions. <laughs> so where are, where you, are from? you from? No, I'm from 
I'm from Canada. From no, Canada. no, no. Like, where are you? Where, where, where are your parents from? Oh yeah, they're from they're from Canada too. Right. Well, no, but go back further. What's where, your but what's your culture? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what, what's your nationality? T- oh, Tim Hortons in yeah, hockey, just my like you. Nation <laughs> that I was born in yeah. is Canada. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm Canadian. Thanks. Um, I don't even I don't speak any other language. I don't even very barely speak French. So there you go. <laughs> well, this is the West Coast. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> We're not required to, to know that sort of. We stuff. are digressing though. Let's yeah. get back to talking about some comics. <laughs> but you know what? I think I think talking about how Canadian we all are is good because when we do get to to uh, the book Seth. by Seth, yeah, uh, that that will inform I think a lot of our that's true. On that, so. And you know who else is Canadian? Is Ramon K. Perez. Oh, okay. he's actually cool. born and raised in Toronto or no, Ontario, kidding. and he lives in Toronto now. So there cool. you go. Um, See, more yeah. surprising uh, uh, people in the comics industry that, that are Canadian, yeah. which brings us back to you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. So tell us, how did you get from fantastic art teachers in high school to publishing um, Delilah Dirk? What, what happened in between uh, there? <laughs> um, just the other day on Twitter, a friend of mine posted a drawing of, uh, that I had done of Delilah Dirk. Um, and he said it was from 2003, and I swear, <laughs> I swear it doesn't go back that far, but I guess it does. Um, in, yeah, in the early 2000s, I started, uh, let's see, web forums were really popular, and I don't know how popular they are now. It seems like, you know, your, tumb- your Tumblrs and your Twitters are more popular, mm-hmm. but um, web forums are really popular. Uh, Shane Glein's art forum was really popular in particular, and it was there that I met up with Kazu Kibuishi. Who currently makes Amulet. Amulet. Yeah, wonderful stuff. Uh, and he set up the flight forums, and I don't know whether I don't know whether he set up or decided to make the flight anthologies before setting up the forums or vice versa. But uh, either way, that turned into a community where he was just inviting people he knew from other forums and stuff to start hanging out. And you know, like I saw people on there that I I really liked. I liked the work they were doing. I was like, oh, I want to be a part of that. So I started. Spending my evenings and weekends making um, making comic books, and I was I was really lucky in that <laughs> um, the I got some real strong encouragement early on when the first story that I did it was a short story for Flight Three was nominated for an Eisner Award. Wonderful. Um, and then the first bit of Delilah I did is a 28-page short story, which is now the first chapter of The Turkish Lieutenant. Um, I self-published that uh, and took that to Comic-Con one year and through a weird fluke and uh, some very fortunate circumstances, uh, that was nominated for an Eisner as well. So I felt like I was receiving a lot of encouragement to yeah. maybe continue doing this. Um, and then, yeah, just continued sort of in the evenings and weekends to um, to do that while I was doing my animation day job, and uh, eventually put together the Turkish Lieutenant, and here we are. So are you still working in animation? Um, off and on. Uh, comics doesn't pay as well yeah. as you might like, <laughs> as I might like. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, off and on. I just, um, <laughs> there's a new My Little Pony Equestria Girls <laughs> movie that just came out for which I did the, uh, the, the, the I designed the title sequence um, and prior <laughs> prior to do that I did a season's worth of boarding on season four of My Little Pony and 
before that, um, a show which has now just showed up on Netflix up here, uh, Max Steel. Um, yeah, those are all made in Vancouver, and I work, had my hand in uh, in a couple of those. Well, that, that's good to know because uh, we'll we'll put it out in the in you know the social blogosphere or whatever <laughs> that we have uh, somebody from the My Little Pony universe, <laughs> and uh, and and our our downloads will go through the roof because that stuff <laughs> is popular with a whole area of people that yeah, would is. actually also really like the other stuff that we talk about. I think <laughs> yep. oddly enough, yeah. Um, more more than most people who are not familiar with bronies and bronycon and all of that sort of thing would expect. I'm glad that but, show has turned out to be so successful because the people yeah. working on it really love it, and yeah. I think good. I think they're making like a pretty good product. So yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and it is a nice clever show. Together. I've only seen a few episodes of it, but it's it's smart. Mm-hmm. It caters to a bunch of different audiences really well, so it does a good job. Yeah, good job, guys. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, well, um, tell us a little bit about going from. Um, Delilah Dirk on the web to have to first second finding did you did they find you or did you approach them I'm trying to remember how much of this I should talk about Um, okay I I got to a point where I had the two I had two Delilah Dirk story short stories one in from flight and that original one um, that I self-published and I had planned for them to be linked together, so I stuck them together. I took basically a year off work and spent and, and worked full time on producing the sort of linking elements that go in between, which are now the bulk of the book, but uh, that's beside the point. <laughs> um, basically taking those two short stories and turning them into something, something larger, something that would be an actual graphic novel, and I started pitching it around to be in a graphic novel, you know, without sending it to the web first. Um, and it got some good traction for, uh, I won't go into too many details, but it got some good traction that eventually fell through and it left me feeling like, okay, well, this takes a really, it takes a really long time to make these books. Um, I would love to make another one, but I don't know if there is the audience there for that. Like, I had no idea what the success level, like, whether I got lucky maybe with those first ones, I had no idea, you know, how this graphic novel, this Delilah Dirk graphic novel would do. So I put it online for free, just to sort of gauge the reaction. Um, and as that went along, and um, uh, like as, it, as I was posting it, um, it was getting more and more attention. Um, and I got approached by a couple of places, um, and I just, uh, you know, I, I'm fuzzy on exactly how I got together with um, with uh, da, 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 with for a second, but um, an agent friend of Kazoo's mm-hmm. uh, put us in touch, and uh, we went through the publishing process, and here we are. Nice. Um, and now it's funny that you say you didn't know if there'd be an audience because I saw you at Van Calf. Mm-hmm. And you were by far the busiest person there. Oh, I don't know. Oh, there is a crowd around your table, bigger crowd than any of the other tables that were there. I will say that I had brought enough books that I thought, oh, okay, I will, um, based on how this has performed previously at other shows, I'll, I'll bring some books and then I'll have enough left over at the end that I'll, you know, I'll just have a couple on hand for, you know, whatever reason. Um, 
and it sold out by the end of the first day, which was <laughs> oops, which has never happened before, and which was very surprising, very pleasing, and uh, yeah, I'm grateful to all the readers in Vancouver's <laughs> readers in Vancouver for uh, yeah being so supportive and coming out. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, well, we neither we were gonna we forgot to ask you to bring a couple of copies of the book. Yeah. We were gonna. Oh, I have one. Oh, good. <laughs> but I, which I can't leave with you, but I do have oh. one in case you need to refer to it. Well, we were gonna ask to buy a couple of copies off you because oh. <laughs> uh, we we just borrowed it from the library. Yeah, <laughs> but we like it so much. Like we were we were quite impressed, so we wanted to get copies of our own. So well, we'll thank have you very to, much. We'll have to do that. Um, <laughs> yeah. Cool. Um, this, uh, this seems like a good time to to jump in with this question from one of our listeners. Uh, and this is from George. He says, Hi, I have a question for Tony Cliff. More and more webcomics seem to be getting success offline, too, in forms of published books. Mm. However, in your experience, are there any negatives from a publisher's perspective if the content is also free? That's from George. Um, like I said, like mine was initially, I designed it to be a graphic novel. I always mm-hmm. wanted it to be a graphic novel. Like it's got a beginning, a middle, and an end. And it was supposed to be like that. Um, putting it on the web just happened to come as a result of my wanting to, you know, find out how it would yeah. do and um, get people's opinions on it. Um, so, I don't know, these days, I. I guarantee it is 100% different for every single person who would mm-hmm. try to do it, and it is so up to the particulars of each individual project. Um, I think I think you can only win by putting it online, mm-hmm. um, because if it's good, uh, you know, then it's it's easier for everybody to find it, and that's I mean it's just so much. Uh, I stopped updating Delilah Online in 2012, and between then and now, so much has changed, I think, or it seems to me that so much has changed in terms of webcomics. The amount of them, um, how how you view them, how they're consumed. uh, um, I don't know, I I think, yeah, getting it out there and putting it in front of as many eyes as you can is... Can only be a good thing, I think. Well, and it only it it makes it less risky for the publisher too. If they see that there's right. already a built-in interest, then right. yeah, it's a done deal to mm-hmm. publish it. Whereas if you've never shown it to anybody, uh, it's risk. Right. And I think for for different projects and for different people, getting involved with a publisher will mean different things. Um, for some people who have who are having experiencing so much success online. I think the publishing can be a thing that is also, you know, that is additional, that is supplemental, Mm -hmm. um, you know, your paper publishing uh, deal. Um, And then for other people, uh, like for Delilah, I think having it published as a real book, because I I prefer books over reading things Mm -hmm. on the screen. Mm -hmm. Um, Because of that, I think, uh, you know, that is where I want to see it. That's that's where I want it to be. Yeah. Um, yeah, again, I think I think it's just uh, different for everyone. And if you're making a good thing, <laughs> uh, the eyes will find it if you put it up there. Well, you know, I think that that uh, what we're seeing right now in 2014, for anybody who's listening to this historically, uh, in <laughs> future scientists, yeah, yeah, for future scientists, um, what what we're seeing is a transition from 
sort of these traditional uh, pay models for a lot of things into like the if it's on the internet it's free because you really once it's once it's been put online it's out there and if somebody wants to find it for free they're going to I mean any comic book that's published today you can mm-hmm. very easily go to any torrent tracker and and find it it might yeah. not be the best quality scans <laughs> it's it is technically illegal you're stealing uh, a book from from you know a publisher and uh, uh, an artist and, and creators and everything that... you, you would think that would be the case but um i just did some quick searching and i could not find a torrent for delilah dirk and i oh, don't really? know whether my my feelings should be hurt or uh, if i should be feeling good about that i'll, I'll go start one for you <laughs> when i go home yeah, thank you yeah <laughs> Um, but uh, but we're seeing it in not just in comics, but like also in a lot of other entertainment mediums. I yeah. mean, well, it's the whole uh, app structure is you yeah. give it for free, yeah. Um, so you get as many people on board, and then you yeah. you find ways to make your revenue yeah. through that. Yeah, like the whole uh, Legend of Korra series right mm-hmm. now is like it's it's online. It's it, that's the only place that you can watch it. Oh, wait, Nickelodeon right? Nickelodeon took it off of their TV schedule, and they only release it online. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and oh, like uh, powers is coming through the PS4. Yeah, yeah. So I think I think that right now we're sort of at at the crossroads, and things are about to change a lot. Um, and it's going to be I, I think it's going to be the the individuals and the publishers that are able to adapt to that quickly, mm-hmm. and and that sense that coming already that are going to be the ones that survive. You're never going to get rid of DC and Marvel. It doesn't matter. I mean, you could completely change the industry and they could be five or six years behind and they're so big, especially now with movies and everything, oh, yeah, that it yeah. wouldn't matter. But I think when well, it comes to, yeah. to smaller publishers like Dark Horse and, uh, and and Image even, which is not small, small, but... Well, and when you get to the like, independents like Drawn yeah. and Quarterly and... Um, what's this one? Archaea. Yeah, yeah. It, it's more the presentation and that, that kind of thing. Like, but but I think I think what it comes down to is what you're saying. If the content is good, if if it's a if it's a good property, if it's if it's great art, uh, good storytelling, and it can connect with an audience, which I think is the most important key. Uh, if they can identify with that property, they'll pay for it, even if they have it for free already. I mean, mm-hmm. I have seven or eight volumes of of penny arcade comics Mm -hmm. even though the whole archive is up on their website for free and i can do that anytime but i'm a big fan of penny arcade and and but what those books do is they add the little yeah they add commentary that that -hmm. you wouldn't get online and i think of hark of vagrant as well by kate beaton um all of her comics uh, are hilarious and they're all online and but Mm -hmm. it didn't like they put it into a book and she puts her little commentary underneath there as well. Yeah. And those book sales are great. Like she obviously hasn't nothing. Nothing's hurt there. So having it online, I think is is. I don't think it's a, a huge deal. I think if it's handled right, it can only if help, it, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> there you go. Do you have anything to add to that, Tony? <laughs> uh, no. I mean, it's obviously I. I don't uh, George, right? I don't know. Um, what perspective he's writing from, but uh, mm. my God, there, there's so many challenges to it, and getting that, getting finding the audience of a Penny Arcade or like the audience numbers of a Penny Arcade yeah. or Hark a Vagrant is, uh, is difficult. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, it's <laughs> the internet now. Come on, just yeah, put it online. Yeah. <laughs> cool. <laughs> 
Um, I, can you can you talk at all about about the continuing adventures of Delilah Dirk? Like what we're what we're gonna see next, and uh, uh, maybe when we can expect to see it. It won't be out for a while. I'm currently working on book two. I'm about a da, 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 quite a bit of the ways through it. Um, I'll be wrapping it up over the next couple of months. I'm spending my days right now as we write, uh, as I'm sitting here talking to you, and at the end of October in 2014, <laughs> I am plowing my way through color pages. Um, yeah, it. it um, uh, am I allowed to say when it comes out? I don't know. Um, a little while still. Yeah, it'll be it'll be a while, unfortunately, longer than I would prefer. But um, uh, I've got a question. Um, so when when Delilah Dirk and the Turkish Lieutenant was published um, is that mm. pretty much how it exi- how it was before or did you have to make significant changes or any changes to it before like when I went through editorial um, no 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 um, my editor for a second Callista Brill is, um, is fantastic and super supportive um, and has only been constructive in, in any comments she's had about the book um, the book as it was online before I uh, got picked up by for a second is is the book that you'll read mm-hmm. in on paper. Um, it's it's a little bit longer. I added a little bit of content for the book, but um, no, it's 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 essentially the same. So then, going through um, the second volume now, mm-hmm. um, do you have to go through the editors, or are they giving you? pretty much free reign to do uh, no no um, it, yeah, I mean it has gone through a sort of creative editorial process um, and I wrote a little bit about this on my Tumblr a little while ago um, but again Calista is fantastic and um, the weird thing about wor- working on a, a book like this just by yourself like I I'm doing all of it myself I don't have uh, an artist that can bounce things off bounce writing issues off of or yeah. a writer I can bounce artist issues off of so having somebody there who is a um, invested concerned third party like an outside voice um, having somebody there to um, point out things where it could be strengthened basically um, is fantastic good just yeah. like pointing out things you haven't noticed it's fantastic mm. good yeah, yeah. And that only helps them as well of course yeah. I'm really ex- I'm really excited I'm excited for it to come out because I think it's a lot better than the first one. <laughs> oh yeah um, well in different ways um, I th- I'm certainly much more happy I'm much happier with the art um, it's uh, more consistent than the first one so yeah you nice. can notice the change in in uh, the way you draw your characters from the mm-hmm. beginning and then for sure you um, I mean not it's not a bad thing but um, well I I, I am not super happy with it yeah. <laughs> I would prefer that it would be more consistent but I think that comes with because uh, you did it over a long period of time yeah, yeah. And that uh, like your own style evolves and such, and you yeah. see that coming out. The there a lot of the the cartooniness of the characters disappears by the end of the book. They're um, they're more you, you get a little bit more realism yeah. in there. And we I saw that in um, it, when we talked about Xenozoic as well because yeah. yeah. uh, uh, what's the main character's name in that? I can't uh, remember. Jack Jack Tenrick. Yeah, yeah, Jack Tenrick. He was really a thug looking character, yeah. like he'd been beaten up, like he's got this thick brow, and then by the end of the yeah. series he's a handsome leading man. He actually <laughs> he actually looks quite a lot like the, the say, main yeah. character of Tales. Yeah. And there's a lot of similarities there and I, I'd be curious to find out if I was like gonna mention that too in this there's a Cadillac in there and I was yeah. like, There's I wonder if this is a nod. Yeah. But anyway, um <laughs> uh, going back to to Delilah, Delilah Dirk, um 
do you think your your style is um, has changed even from the first book to this new stuff that you're working on? Um, t- 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 the second book will look like um, if you have the book. There's a section with uh, there's a section a sort of nighttime section, which is the new stuff that I added for the book um, in the fourth chapter. Uh, it'll look more like that. Okay. It, or at least that's the look that we'll be going through. Thanks. It'll have um, less of the sort of um, t- 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 stylized, yeah, like you said, cartooniness from the third chapter, and it'll be much more consistent than the first chapter, where things are a little bit all over the place. <laughs> what are you going to do? Yeah, well... <laughs> It was still wonderful. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, speaking as as an artist who who admires your work, (laughs) I wish that my stuff was... Uh, if, if that's what you're going to call inconsistent, I wish my stuff was that inconsistent. Oh, well, well, then, well, then yeah. you know the feeling of where you can always see your own mistakes. Sure. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. So absolutely. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. But, but, I, well, but I mean, it, from, from, from my perspective, it, it all... It's it's not like it looks like there's different artists, <laughs> right? Right. Like I think oh, with the example that that we were talking about with Cenozoic, uh, if you open up the front of that book and then you flip to the back of the book, it looks like two different people are drawing it, mm. right? Like like wow. he he really evolves over the course of that, well, but that's also like decades, fifteen years, or something <laughs> yeah, like yeah, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but that's probably also black, like entirely black and white, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, I it's think you probably notice that a little bit more. It's just like straight with the line work than if oh, you. Yeah. I think color helps mask a lot of that. Yeah. Well, and what is consistent in your work is your compositions, your all of the layouts. Um, yeah. That that is strong all the way through. Um, and if you stylistically change the way you draw faces and such, that mm. it's um, that's okay because um, you still get the feeling of your yeah. your pacing is still the mm. same and all that kind of stuff all the way through. Well, to to hear that you that you have a background in animation actually makes a lot of sense mm. because as Chris says the composition is all there and I uh, the 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 cinematography is there which I think a lot of comics nowadays they really lack that um the, there's a lot of I mean uh, the majority of Marvel and DC stuff I find they look like comic books they mm. don't look like anything that you could present in another medium but Delilah Dirk, it just it flowed so well for me. I think that was one of the things that we talked about a lot last month when we talked about it. Is that that it's very easy to follow, and there's a good sense of of the actual world that they're running around in. Um, and and that that out of everything, and and all of the artwork is fantastic. But that element of it is probably the part that I read through it and go like. I wish that I could attain half of that, and and like I draw, I draw cartoon cartoons, right? Like like uh, Curtis and I both with our with our stuff, we're doing um, very sort of uh, uh, oh yeah it's Sunday not Sunday funnies <laughs> cartoons, right? But uh, but but just having that that sensibility to it, um, and actually understanding a three D space, so that when a character runs around a corner, it actually looks like a character runs around a corner, as opposed to just. I don't know. Superheroes fall. I know, which is what you see a lot. That's awesome. That that makes me really happy to hear because that sense of a consistent space, Mm -hmm. that sense of it taking place in a or like the characters feeling like they sit in in a three D world. I'm doing gestures right now, which I know is not very helpful for your listening audience. (laughs) Um, um, But yeah, that's it's uh, it's one of those things I um, I would notice that in some some of the books that I um, I liked, but. 
there's one artist I can think of in particular who would ha have these amazing um, figure drawings. Uh, the characters would all be amazing, but they wouldn't. They would be sort of like floating in space, yeah. or like not literally floating in outer space, but um, yeah, they wouldn't feel very grounded. They yeah. wouldn't feel like yeah. they are existing in the world. It felt more like looking at a series of pinups and so that sort of thing. Yeah. And so that's one of the things I tried to to fight a little bit, and it is gratifying to hear that maybe <laughs> maybe it worked a little bit. Oh, it totally did. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. So, what do you like to read? What um, I don't know, comics or otherwise. What's what's your interest? <sighs> Uh, what have I been reading lately? Um, uh, I picked up the first volume. <laughs> what do I like to read? I picked up the first volume of em Empowered at TCAF, and um, and I have been enjoying. Yeah, enjoying the hell out of that. Um, Brandon, <laughs> Brandon Graham has since lent. Um, the rest of the series to me, and I've also got uh, another book here that Brandon Graham has lent to me, which he does not know that I brought this uh, this afternoon. Um, <laughs> uh, Adventures of a Japanese Businessman, which I hope we can sort of squeeze into the conversation a little bit later, into uh, relative to Tale of Sam. But uh, that's that. And aside from that, um, oh man, I've been kicking myself for just reading too much internet lately. I will just read things on Metafilter a lot. Um, What's the last good book I read? I don't know. Um, whoop, doop, doop, doop. I don't know. What do you guys been reading? <laughs> Aside from your assigned reading, I, well, you know, I had a hard time. I I'll be honest. I was reading Tale of Sand this morning. Uh, yeah. I left it to last because after I <laughs> after I'd kind of read the first five or ten pages, I went, oh, this will be quick. <laughs> um, which we'll talk more about that when we get to it. But but I was reading stuff up until like I was reading Dark Empire last night and then Tale of Sand this morning because. <laughs> I was reading uh, uh, some of the more current Star Wars stuff, uh, Volume Three of the, the the ongoing Dark Horse series, Star Wars, that just came to a close. It had come out about a month ago, so I was reading that, and then I was reading uh, Volume One of the Amazing Spider-Man, which uh, which is the follow-up, the relaunch after the Superior Spider-Man story arc, which which we were kind of talking about a little bit before we started recording, and. Uh, Man, I, I, Amazing Spider-Man, as good as Superior Spider-Man was, ah, eh, Superior Spider-Man's better at points, but Amazing Spider-Man is so nice to have <laughs> Peter Parker back, only with the caveat of knowing that Superior Spider-Man <laughs> is still out there in the, in the Marvel multiverse, and, and that sooner or later those characters will get to cross paths, but um, all of the fallout from that following through into uh, into Peter Parker being Spider-Man again is is fun. So that's what I've been reading lately. That's that's sort of been my thing. Now your listening audience doesn't know, but you guys were talking about this Spider-Man stuff a little yeah. earlier, and I was sort of kind of listening to it because after a little bit, it went way over my head. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a little it was convoluted. Super hard to keep hard to keep track of. Um, so I'm surprised that we are reading um, two self-contained books today um i'm surprised that you have uh, that uh, diversity of interest in comic books well you know i curtis does a good job of keeping me interested <laughs> in all of these sort of uh, yeah and that's uh, weirder books but but i mean you know i i think it's good in all things to have a diversity of taste, oh, right? Like yeah, movies, yeah. video games, comics, everything. Otherwise, if you if all you read is superhero comics, 
all you're ever going to understand is superhero comics. And when a superhero comic does something revolutionary or interesting, like say uh, All Star Superman, you're not going to notice. You're just gonna you're gonna pick it up and you're gonna go, oh, this isn't a regular Superman comic. This is boring, and you're gonna you know throw it aside mm, yeah. but uh if you are checking out these other sort of uh, wait i just i just sort of made an agreement sound but i don't understand what is revolutionary about that exactly because I'm, I'm not aware of the context all-star superman yes have you read it no okay um well it was yeah it, it was, <laughs> it's grant morrison so it's just grant morrison boiling down superman from you know 70 years of continuity and uh, and doing something sort of timeless with it, whereas everything from DC at the time, and and even more so now uh, since New Fifty Two, is very much of the moment. And like, let's make this as current and edgy and you know uh, cool in quotation marks as we possibly mm. can, relevant uh, to the kids. Yeah, yeah, and <laughs> and absolutely to the detriment of of telling good stories with good characters. Hmm. So when when Grant Morrison takes Superman and goes, let's look at Superman from a historical perspective and a mythological perspective and tell the last story about Superman, because spoilers in the first issue. Well, I haven't read this. Okay. I haven't read it either. In, in the first issue, he, he, he flies close to the sun and is caught in a solar flare, which his powers are based on energy from the sun radiation from the sun and it basically throws his cells into like a, a like they, he starts to break down more or less like and he goes back to earth and his powers are on out of control and uh, a scientist i think emile hamilton tells him you've got <laughs> you've got so many days left to live and it's sort of it's it's basically superman's bucket list like it's it's 12 issues of superman okay. doing all of the things that he has to do before he dies and it's like it's kind of all of those things that he's been putting off because he's had to save the galaxy so many times you know or you know fight lex Luthor or whatever yeah and see that's a that's an interesting story yeah yeah and rather than fighting uh bizarro superman for the umpteenth number of times it's like, <laughs> yeah. yeah this is that's that sounds yeah, interesting exactly so it's it's sort of being a subversive thing but if you're not gonna read a book like tale of sand or or uh uh it's a good life if you don't weaken, which is the longest, mm. most awkward title I think we've <laughs> yes. had on the on the show so far. Yeah, or, or even Xenozoic or Terry and the Pirates, right? If you're not going to go back and check out those things historically, you're not going to understand when Samson uh, and uh, um, Atlas show up in in a Superman book that's outside of the regular continuity. Because if it's not just part of the ongoing story, you're going to be like, well, what? I don't understand where does this fit in which is what you hear a lot of the time from people who just pick up comics mm. or like just pick up superhero comics they they get you get the weird stuff and then they go or you do the shit status quo shake up and they get mm. all upset right that spider-man's dr octopus and yeah whatever and they're, oh, i don't know why they gotta mess with everything so much and it's like well because then we get to tell cool stories and yeah yeah expand on the characters right? yeah i mean i can understand that impulse <laughs> impulse to try to fit everything together sort of puzzle yeah. piece style but yeah you definitely get your best stories when yeah. you strip it 
back to the essentials. Well, and that yeah. was one of the things I liked about Delilah Dirk, going back to Delilah Dirk. <laughs> <laughs> um, when, when I was first reading it, Mike and I met, uh, met up uh, midway through the month, and I'd only read the first story, and I was like mm. beginning the second one. Um, and I said, I, I don't really know where this is going. It's kind of, it meanders a little bit. There's not, a, um, I don't know this, what the sense of the arc is going to be or mm-hmm. something like that. And then, but the, by the end of the, the book, once I've read all three stories, three mm-hmm. stories, right? Yeah. Um, they, they're all vignettes. I mean, they, they connect in little ways, but they're each pretty much contained stories. And, sort of, yeah. and, um, and then I understood it a little bit more like because um, they had I, I liked that uh, it, it didn't need to have that overarching uh, thing it was like I'd rather just get the little here's the story I'm going to tell you right now and mm-hmm. here's another little story that I'm going to tell you right now um, rather than yeah let's let's have five Spider-Man <laughs> books yeah. and each one of them uh, ties into each other so you have to buy all five of them and then oh yeah he's also on Avengers and he's also in Fantastic yeah. Four and he's yeah. also doing this or whatever well that's what we ran into last month when we were reading Guardians of the Galaxy uh, we'd sort of thrown out for everybody to read the first volume but I picked up the second volume as well and getting through it you, you get to the end and the last issue takes place after a big Marvel crossover event that is not in that book. So you read up to a certain point and you get to what is essentially a climax of the Avengers returning to Earth and the Guardians are there. Mm -hmm. And so like, oh, everybody's going to team up and they're all going to fight Thanos. That's what's going to happen here. And then the the next next issue is like... Battle's over. (laughs) Well, that sure was tricky, but I'm glad we got Thanos. And you're like... Whoa, 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 whoa! But I, yeah. I paid the the admission price. I want the whole story. I don't yeah. want. But the, that's yeah. that's it the was problem the with, with yeah. That's yeah. The they problem didn't with need the to, crossover. They didn't need to put that issue in that trade, no, but they, they did, did it so that you can would yeah. be you'd buy all the other ones. That said, yeah. I went into the comic book store this last week and and asked uh, Andrew like, "Do you guys have Infinity?" and and he points to this tome that is like four <laughs> trades thick. <laughs> no. And and I flip it over and it's $70 and I flip through it and it's like this is it's four it is literally four trades. Like it's it's four different mm. uh, uh four to six yeah. issue runs of of these different series all sandwiched into one book right. and I was just like you know what? I think I can probably just figure it out by reading other <laughs> stuff. Torrents are looking mighty interesting now. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, I just don't necessarily want to read through that many books by that many authors and that many different artists because I know it's just going to be wildly inconsistent. And it's like you might be yeah. reading three pages and you're like, oh, this is really cool. And then it switches over to somebody else and you're like, this writing's not nearly as snappy as the mm. last guy, right? So yeah. this is definitely one of the most frustrating things about, yeah, I guess, the mainstream Comics. Well, yeah. and that's yeah, and I don't read any of that stuff except for what Mike passes along. To me. <laughs> so I'm I'm not up to that either. I I try to stay away. I love the movies. The movies are great, but mm-hmm. um, because they haven't gotten to that point of being so overwhelming yet, I'm sure they will. Yeah, um, <laughs> yet. But, I don't know. I can yeah. see I can see elements in there of them starting to do that thing. Where oh, it's yeah. like you have to have seen one. To, yep, yep. absolutely. To fully understand the other. They, uh-huh. they will totally do that in DC's on their way to doing that too DC will be worse we don't need to get into that right now that's that's Um, a different podcast I much (laughs) I much prefer um, the stuff that's published 
by uh, I love First Second. Mm-hmm. I'm a big First Second fan. We talked about Battling Boy a few months ago, and um, and I love um, Boxers and Saints, and mm-hmm. um, you know, there's a bunch of stuff that they publish that I'm on board with. I love their um, you know the Sardine series, and um, that that's what I like. And I also love the stuff that Drawn and Quarterly publishes. A lot mm-hmm. of the more introspective kind of kind of stuff like this. This one is. Um, if it, it's a good life if you don't weaken is about as introspective as you can get <laughs> and um, you know this, the old stuff from Jeffrey Brown before he was all Star Wars and um, all that kind of stuff I, I really like I like those those types um, and it, I also like looking back at the old stuff that I old superhero stuff that I haven't looked mm-hmm. at before so I've just finished reading Electra Assassin by Frank Miller and uh, Bill Sankovich which, uh, boy, if anybody influenced M- Brian Michael Bendez in his dialogue and all that kind of stuff, it was Frank Miller in that book. Like, it was so... Uh, I could see... Um, Bendis must have been a fan of that, of that story, for sure. Um, it was good. And uh, the other one I just finished reading is um, the, the Green Arrow, Green Lantern section that, um, that uh, Neil Adams and did mm. um, back in the late 70s, I think. That was the seminal story of uh when speedy was on drugs that kind of that was in there um that was good stuff there it's a little dated in its social commentary but it's uh it was well worth like picking up i like going back to the old stuff to, mm. to see but anyway maybe we should talk about some some of our picks for this one <laughs> yeah we've probably already been talking for like an hour or something yeah let's uh Let's jump in and talk about Star Wars Dark Empire Trilogy, which was my pick. Uh, I'd read this before, um, a while ago. Uh, I think actually I've read it twice, and now this would be the third time. And uh, it's a funny experience, because every time I read through it, I feel like around the time that I get halfway through the second book, I get this flashback of... And I thought this was better than it is. (laughs) Um, That's exactly where I got to... And it's, yeah. it's, it's, uh, you know, I'll, I'll say the first volume, uh, Dark Empire is, is actually a, a pretty good story. It's a cool sort of comic book sequel to Return of the Jedi and of that era of the early nineties when Star Wars was just kind of starting to come back. And a, a lot of, uh, our younger listeners probably won't really have the context for it. Um, and I only have the context because, uh, uh, the historical research, let's say, that I've done <laughs> on Star Wars because I'm such a big fan. Uh, but there is a, a period post Return of the Jedi up until uh, the Timothy Zahn books of the early '90s, where I mean, it's it's really it's only it's only about ten years, but it's it's this period where Star Wars was kind of not around. Like it, it, they'd oversaturated the market by the time that they got to Return of the Jedi with things like the droids and Ewoks cartoons and oh, yeah. and, uh, and all sorts of other stuff. And then with no new movies, they they didn't they didn't have anything. Like there was nothing to 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 do with Star Wars. Which um, is why Dark Horse probably got the license for cheap. Yeah, because they were just kind of starting out around that time. I think. Yeah, Marvel Marvel had dropped the license. And uh, and then and then in the '90s, around the same time that Timothy Zahn and Del Rey were publishing the uh, the the uh, Thrawn trilogy, as it's known, um, that they started publishing comics, uh, 
particularly I think I think it, it sort of began with Tales of the Jedi I think that might have been the first thing um, uh, but this was around the same time and which does this this spins out of the Zon books doesn't it it, it does so the, this uh, Dark Empire is a is a sequel to the Timothy Zahn stories um, but you don't have to have read them. you don't have to have read them all you need to know is that uh, uh, Han Solo and Princess Leia have two kids named Jason and Jaina right. who are barely in this. Right, which, <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. I thought they were going to play a bigger role but yeah. because they're so... They're, they're they not, they don't so show much. up until the second book, do they? They don't, yeah, they don't show up until the second book and uh, it's, a, it's kind of a bit of a weird trope in that early um, expanded universe content of... Jason and Jaina, as well as later Anakin, were constantly as somebody was always trying to kidnap these kids yeah. because they were the sort of the uh, the symbol the of the New Republic, right? Yeah. yeah. So it's like if if Jesus had a son and everybody knew about it, everybody would would you know the the Romans yeah. would have all been trying to, very, to to kill that that kid, right? Or ransom it or something. Yeah, like yeah, a valuable exactly. commodity. Yeah, so. It's a it's a little bit of a tired trope for for big Star Wars fans. But, but this was the first time it happened. But this was the first time, yeah. That's it's an important note. Um, so this is this is very early on in the expanded universe. It's definitely before the prequels. Uh, it's before the prequels were even really something that mm-hmm. was being talked about. Um, and uh, and and it and it really shows because there's a lot of material that doesn't sync up with what we now know of of the the, the old Jedi's republic work. and the Jedi Order, right? Yeah. So the Jedi that do show up, um, they're they're very odd and out of place, and they don't they, today they don't feel like Jedi. But um, but I think that's intentional because Jedi are scattered and fragmented, yes. and it's, it's a lost thing. So of course, when when new Jedi pop up, they are going to be odd because yeah. there's there's no formal training there's, oh yeah there's, yeah you know it um, makes sense but i i think one of the strengths of these stories is that they are so early on in the expanded universe because at a certain point the eu got to be a lot like a marvel or a dc comic book where you had to have read six other things in order to understand why coran horn feels the way that he does about use and bond so like it, it which are like it's all nonsense gibberish to begin with yeah and uh, and and when the stories get as convoluted as they do later on in the novels picking up the comic books became just this obnoxious you know sort of uh, uh, which is kind self-defeating of self-defeating task now that marvel um or now that star wars is owned by disney yeah. they're saying to hell with the expanded universe yeah so they've, for that they've very wiped it out yeah um, and th- th- there will be some stuff that still gets published, and I'm curious to see what happens when Marvel takes over uh, officially in in January when they publish their first book, and to see what the solicits start to look like, and and whether or not because I don't know if these books will ever be published again, or or if they'll be published in 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 the immediate future. I don't think they will. I don't know that Marvel has the ability to publish them. They, I don't they I don't, do. Do they? Okay. Um, I know that cuz they Marvel's releasing um a series of collections called the Epic Collections which are okay. collecting a whole bunch of old Marvel titles. Well, there's a Star Wars one coming out. Okay. And well, actually it might only but it might be the Marvel stuff. So, yeah. I like I I don't know cuz a lot of these stories, a lot of the a lot of the comics are considered I uh, sort of 
seminal pieces in the Star Wars mythology and Dark Empire, the reason why I picked it, is that it it really is considered uh, one of the linchpins in in the the continuity, the the previous continuity that's now been wiped out. Um, and and with new Star Wars stuff starting, I thought it would be cool to to jump back, look at sort of where Star Wars comics in this sort of the the era that just came to a close, uh, where they started and uh, and and the kind of stories that they were telling. So this is a sequel to Return of the Jedi as well as the the, the heir to the Empire, Grand Admiral Thrawn trilogy, written by Timothy Zahn. Um, and uh, and it, it's it's interesting because we pick up with Luke. Uh, he's he's now a Jedi Master and not just a Jedi Knight, right? Because at the end of Return of the Jedi, he's just a Knight, but he's not taught anybody anything, and he hasn't really mastered the Force. But by this point in the story, he is incredibly powerful, right? Like he's almost. Uh, it, it, it's a good thing it's a comic book because I don't think that it would have worked in anything else. Um, and he's introduced in the silhouette of Darth Vader. Yeah, and yeah. and it's played the whole time that he is very much his father's son hmm. that that that's an important part of it which uh, again we're on the we are on the eve we're a year away a year and a couple months away from episode seven in which we know mark hamill is reprising the role of luke skywalker and so far it looks very different from the luke yeah. skywalker that we we see on the cover of these books right right well it, he's gonna be much older yes because this only yes. takes place five years after or something uh, like that ten years because the, the Zahn books take place five years after okay. and then this is five years after that right and then but this new Star Wars thing is going to take place like 30, 30 years yeah. after so I don't know they they could keep this continuity or whatever yeah. or they could just totally do whatever the heck they want which but it sounds like do. it sounds like the custodians of this IP are saying no no no, no. ignore these exactly books. yeah yeah, yeah. Um, I think I think one those of those don't fit into the those aren't puzzle pieces that you could use for this yeah, puzzle. Anyway. I I think that one of the problems is that when you bring back a character like Emperor Palpatine, and you kill him, and then you bring him back again, and then he dies. And oh it's man, like, and that was the, so well, much the frustrating thing. Did he really die? Did he really die? Yeah. Um, I mean, it it's interesting because on the one hand, it, you feel like I like who. Did you guys ask anybody if you could do this before you started writing these comics, or did you just kind of go? Um, but then at, at the end of the day, <laughs> for those of us who do have extensive expanded universe knowledge... <laughs> Not me. I, it actually kind of makes a lot of sense. It, it does fit with that character. Um, uh, he's a little bit crazy by the end of the story, especially Dark Empire 2 and then the, the Empire's End. Um, but, but, I mean, they have story reasons for that. But... Uh, this idea that that the emperor is clinging to his his uh, terrestrial existence is very much in keeping with with that character and and how he's supposed to feel. Where it goes off the rails in in the rest of the continuity is that George Lucas himself has said that the whole reason why the Sith, uh, why Obi Wan says in, in in A New Hope, you know, if you strike me down, I'll become more powerful than you could possibly imagine. Because the Sith are trying to find a way to live forever, right? They, they whether it's through legacy or or literally existing perpetually, as as Palpatine is trying to accomplish, they have a, a a focus on on the physical world, right? Uh, and and the Jedi realize that they can transcend that and become 
one with the force but maintain their their consciousness and all that sort of thing so the fact that there are sith spirits in the second book kind of going like oh do or maybe that's in empire's end which is definitely the odd (laughs) duck out of the three um it it that flies in the face of of sort of the rest of the star wars lore and i feel like empire's end you can almost if it weren't for the fact that that palpatine doesn't die in the second book that there's no final conflict uh, it, it's yeah. almost worth ignoring Empire's Em Empire's End 2 had a terrible ending. It was a non-ending. <laughs> yeah. And it really felt like Empire's End was the last issue of Dark Empire 2 that yeah. they just forgot to publish or they didn't have time, so they... I don't know. It was just... I, th- I think one of the reasons, again, and I probably should have researched this, so now I'm going to be speaking completely out of school and somebody's going to write in an email and uh, Cam Kennedy's going to get really mad if he's... <laughs> still around doing comics or whatever um but well tom tom beach is the writer yeah yeah but cam kennedy did the two the two first volumes dark right empire, yeah i was, dark empire I was kind of sad that he didn't and he's the, the missing link in the third one yeah. and so my my guess there is that for some reason he was unavailable whether he was doing something else and he's done other star wars stuff since so i i, I wouldn't point to bad blood or anything like that but uh, I think he was just unavailable to finish Dark Empire. I think that they had meant for it to be a trilogy, that it would be Dark Empire 1, Dark Empire 2, and Dark Empire 3. But Dark Horse wanted to put a book out because these these were super popular. These were some of the most popular comics of that time. Yeah. Um, and uh, they, they were huge sellers. And I think they, this is basically why we still have a Dark Horse comic. Sure. If they hadn't gotten this license, and if Dark Empire hadn't been as well received as it was, who knows whether or not Dark Horse would still be around? So, um, I think that Dark Horse just wanted to get something out, and that's what it feels like because because the second story finishes and you can it's a cliffhanger. It's kind of that Empire Strikes Back ending of like, did the bad guys win or are the good guys going to be okay? Um, but then you come back for that last one, and it's like. It, it almost feels like a knockoff of the other two books yeah. and uh, and since the second book is really not that great uh, it, it it means that the photocopy of the photocopy kind of falls apart um, <laughs> and like the artist is even trying to mimic yeah. Cam Kennedy's style which I think is a real big problem because Cam Kennedy has this I love, incredible I love signature style to it was his fantastic. work yeah. um Stuff that I think there are still a lot of artists today that that are trying to mimic a lot of what he does in these books. Um, well, it was, and that was the best part about these books is his artwork. It was yeah. so refreshing because I've read, I haven't read very many Star Wars comics, mm-hmm. um, and I think the way the Dark Horse went about it for the remaining, um, for most of their license, I guess, was uh, yeah. um, second fiddle to Marvel and mm-hmm. DC. Yeah, and so they tried to emulate as much of the Marvel and DC style as they could, but this is not Marvel no, 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 or DC style. No, I was style. surprised. I was surprised when when I started looking through these and yeah. to tr- see it treated in this style because it's this really like um, if people haven't picked it up, it's sort of watercolor, a very limited palette. Yeah, which is wonderful. Um, his rendering of his his rendering of the ships are fantastic. Mm-hmm. They look great. Yeah, um, the full page spreads that he does, yeah. um, especially because he he loves to be sparse with his full page spreads. 
um, he leaves so much room to to just grasp how enormous these things are. It's just, yeah. it's fantastic. I I thought I thought he could have done a little bit of a better job giving um, like scale cues. Yeah, I I don't think I got the same impression of you know. Well, there was how one big things were, but um, there was one when they first introduced the the huge. The world um, devastators. The world devastators, and then um, where is that one? I gotta find that page. It's, it's a little bit easier when you're dealing with um, with ships you're more familiar with, like the Millennium Falcon or X Wings and so forth. Um, but yeah, I say when I when I start introducing new um, new tech or new ships or new robots yeah. and stuff, um, I sort of lost some of the perspective on that. I think. Um, can we talk a little bit about these robot designs? <laughs> sure. Yeah, let's do it. Um, so in in Dark Empire Two, we get introduced to Ed Two Hundred Nine from uh, or Ed Two Hundred Nine from RoboCop at some point. Um, the Vi- oh, the, the Viper yeah, droids. Right. Yeah. The man. Somebody just posted um, a link to a gallery of 140 images of like really close up photographs of the miniatures from the original Star Wars movies yeah. of the models they used for that and the the intense like sense memory nostalgia feelings that came over me like oh this this stuff like it's so intricate so detailed yeah. and it brings back so many you know like good childhood memories for me um, and the designs in this book do not keep pace uh, his his original designs that that, that that he throws in are definitely they it looks like something out of a bad heavy metal well that's his that's his history is, I, I, uh, yeah i'm aware yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> um but yeah like that's what it looks like right especially and his original characters as well i mean cedrus is one of the worst looking characters yeah in the in the history of the star wars expanding universe and that says a lot dude right yeah yeah the 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 uh, what I think the they thought was the new Darth Vader, right? Like they thought that they were creating like a cool <laughs> dark Jedi, but he just looks like some lame cyberpunk. Uh, I but then this is the this is the early nineties. It is so. That's true. That's true. Of it, I think. Oh yeah, of the air. That. That's I why I say like in in the time frame that this was released, it was considered like one of the best comics going. Like mm-hmm. people people had nothing but good things to say about it which I think is interesting. Yeah. If you compare it to, like, you pick up a Superman from this era or a Spider-Man, you're going to read that and go, like, yeah, I see where they're getting that from. Like, this is an epic, arcing story, and, and the, the superhero stuff of that time was... Like, we're talking right about uh, uh, Death of Superman. What year was this? Um, it's, it's, it's the 90s. So it's, it's, it's early 90s. I looked. I think it's, like, 91, 92 yeah. for the first um, six books. So we're just before like a death of Superman sort of and and Spider-Man clone saga, let's say. <laughs> um, I will say though that the robots all of the new tech that he designed, it looks a whole lot more like it comes from the Star Wars universe than the new stuff from the new trilogy. <laughs> that those droids and and the new ships that they mm-hmm. introduced in there just don't look anything like Star Wars mm-hmm. from the original trilogy. You know, it, it that's a, it's a funny thing and it'll be a point of contention that I'll have because I guess the original trilogy has an aesthetic all its own, uh, and the prequel trilogy also has an aesthetic all its own. <laughs> and they're they're different eras, right? I mean, it, that's like saying, you know, are you pre- are you sure this is Earth? Because the f- 
30s and 40s look very different from the 70s and the 80s right yeah yeah. right because you're talking about a 30-year gap and you're talking about a renaissance period versus an industrial period right so the 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 aesthetics have to be different because you're talking about the old republic everything needed to be grandiose and polished and shiny and and it was the height of culture and civilization (laughs) whether whether the story represents that or not that's what they're going for right like that's the that's the attempt i mean is it yes it is (laughs) it absolutely is trust me i i i that sounds good to me uh i cannot help but be skeptical and think or cynical maybe even um and think that a lot of it is just due to the technology at hand yeah and the i I think i think there's different the changes in concept art yeah 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 you have different artists working on it but i think i think what you see because as you see it progress towards episode three you see you see as the empire influences stuff more as the the republican and and palpatine and the clone army and everything influences stuff more you get closer and closer to that industrial look the stuff that is introduced in the later movies in in episode two and three uh is starting to look like that industrial stuff but it's it's a i it is a conscious choice because i've got the concept art books right there (laughs) and and they were published at the time right they they weren't published after the fact trying to you know cover up their their mistakes but i when it comes to naboo it was designed to feel different so well, that's that so having having a shiny a silver world, silver ship yeah. and having the the nabu starfighters i get why people don't like it i understand that but uh because they're not x-wings and they're not y-wings and it's not the millennium yeah. falcon and and like you say you have you had a visceral reaction to seeing that stuff um and it's nostalgia based but if you talk to a kid who was seven or eight when episode one came out and has grown up with that as their as their touchstone for Star Wars? Yeah, they they everybody always gets really worried when you start talking about this because it's like, oh well, they they're gonna hate the original trilogy. No, they love the original trilogy, but they identify Star Wars as the prequel trilogy. Right. For whatever that's worth, whether or not the story is better or worse, it doesn't matter. Are... It it means as much to them. As I think the original trilogy means to us, and as uh, guys who are getting older, uh, I think it's very it's very important that we keep ourselves in check and not become curmudgeons that just go like, well, it's not the way that it was when I was a kid, so it's wrong, right? It's like Transformers are very different today than they than they were when we were kids, but no, is that necessarily good or wrong. bad? Like Michael Bay. Okay, <laughs> sorry, sorry, not the movies. Wanna, I don't want to get into tr- some Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Mike. <laughs> I, w- I wasn't thinking. I wasn't thinking about the movies. I was thinking about Transformers, like action figures and toys and stuff like that. But because um, those movies are horrible atrocities, but we've, we've talked about Ninja Turtles on the show before. Wait, okay, I want to go back to um, Dark Empire and talk yeah. about the 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 most underused character in the book here which was Boba Fett oh you think okay. Boba Fett so I think Chewbacca is the most on, underused character you've but... mentioned the Emperor you've me- yeah. mentioned Boba Fett in this Dark Empire 1 book it's basically the thing that bumped me the most is reading through it like oh he's not really dead oh he's not really dead yeah. if, over and over again if Jabba the Hutt had shown up I wouldn't have been surprised because yeah. he <laughs> dies right he gets Yep, he gets ship choked blows by, up, right? Uh, well, he gets choked to death first, and then his ship sure. blows up. He's dead um, before the ship explodes. 
episodes. I mean, if Obi-Wan Kenobi's corporeal form returned, I would not have been surprised. <laughs> well, and that's the thing about Dark Empire 2 was a giant Roadrunner and Coyote cartoon with <laughs> Boba Fett um, being the, the coyote, constantly being blown up or whatever but coming back for more and, right. and just it was a big chase yeah. and it was like this is and something the thing that makes me feel cynical about them returning is that when the emperor returns he doesn't return as his later figure that we see you know as the book that the vampire looking dude um, he returns as we recognize yeah the right. em- emperor and I think they you mean I, in, I don't remember you mean it number three no, no. Uh, in, the in the first book, one. in the first, in Dark Empire one, he's to find out that he's not oh, dead. Oh, right, yeah, yeah, right, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, which reads to me as we have to, we have to let the reader know that this is the same emperor. Yeah, um, we have to, and, and it just felt like. <sighs> Look, bringing back the emperor is a, is a bad idea, and bringing back <laughs> bringing back Boba Fett is is an odd choice. I, it's not an odd choice. It's a, it's a totally. Uh, understandable and justifiable choice because everybody wanted he more Boba Fett stuff. Yeah. But, because, again, you have to put it in context of the time that it was written. We're talking about, like, Boba Fett just died in, in Return of the Jedi, like, six or seven mm-hmm. years before, right? So, people are going like, but Boba Fett was so cool. We want more Boba Fett. So, they went, okay, well then have more Boba Fett. He's fine. Yeah, this and I can I, I Sarlacc found that. him undigestible, <laughs> right? But... But yeah, no, they are. I think that from the, a business standpoint, yeah, that yeah. that does make sense. But oh, and that, that's totally how it's motivated, and that's, that's all it is in this book. That's it. Yeah, that's all it is. Is just little candy for those who who yeah. wanted to grab it, and like they try to. I thought they were going to do something interesting when they they took off his helmet, and they were going to talk a little bit more about his past. But no, they don't do that. He just well, I got another helmet because they weren't allowed to. Because <laughs> they they're not allowed to. But like there there's a the the licensing stuff back oh, yeah. then was much more um it's funny because it goes through these weird these weird cycles of of whether or not lucasfilm is hands-on with stuff and during the era of the prequel trilogy they were not hands-on at all they were just like because they were there were so many things being produced that it was just like go ahead do whatever you want but because there was so little being done at this time the, this was the era it, of Lucasfilm yeah. approvals, and everything yeah. they did, every step they made, every every choice they made, had to go through and Lucasfilm, guess, right? And George, just unfortunate that no, nobody saw the bad story and went, "Is there anything that we can do about <laughs> tightening up some of this this dialogue and story?" Yeah, I one thing that really bothers me, having having uh, uh, done improv as a kid in high school, is that uh, anybody who knows anything about improv knows yes and right, and that's mm-hmm. how you move the story forward. It's a good life motto. It is. It is. Yeah, and it's it's great storytelling, right? Like that's it's a good thing to keep in mind when you're trying to tell a story. Constantly having your characters second guess each other, or like having one character go, "We're gonna do this," and then immediately having a character with more authority go, "No, we're not." In the next word word bubble, like that's just that's just bad writing, and it happens constantly in these books. Like there's there's at least six or seven instances of a character saying well, look that's Boba Fett no that's not Boba Fett that's another guy with Boba Fett's arm it's like who cares like well, why are yeah. you telling your story that way right? I like, found that a lot of the, the, the writing the dialogue was not uh, was not necessary as well like there's yeah. there's so much it's padded there's so much uh, narrative yeah that that 
said exactly what was being shown in the picture. And, like, <laughs> yeah. that's not oh, the point of comics I, right I there. made a note of exactly one of those where it says, See, Commandos storm the disabled devastators with ease. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> which is what you're looking at. Yeah. Which I guess yeah. makes sense, because you want to identify them as but, it, that, but that's also the error, right? We've gotten away from, from those yellow bubbles uh, like yeah, the yellow boxes so. in comics I expect today. them from the 60s and I guess they were still well that, I mean that 90s. type of dialogue is it, it contrasts so heavily with the way like Luke comes back as this brooding dark yeah. caped figure yeah um, you mentioned the sort of death of Superman era yeah this felt very much like it was um, related I guess kind yeah. of that same sort of uh, feeling in the air well this is the beginning um, of the anti-hero era Right. Right. Like this is the beginning mm-hmm. of, of like Spawn is a few years away. And right. Punisher right. they get this time. Yeah. 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 So this is when everybody's got to wear black. And you know, honestly, right. I think that Luke Skywalker is the character that kind of started that trend in Return of the Jedi. I think mm-hmm. that he comes back in that. You know, we look at Return of the Jedi historically now and go, oh, it's it's bright and colorful. But at the time, people looked at Return of the Jedi and their last touchstone for star wars had been empire strikes back where luke was sort of a fresh-faced kid still um and he goes through a horrible ordeal and then when the next time you see him he's dressed like darth vader right and he's got a different colored lightsaber and it's like and what do all the, arm, yeah. yeah what do all these things mean and like the whole point of that is that you don't know at the end of the movie if he's going to join the emperor or not right and i think that this book was trying to right, continue yeah. that part of the story of like like how because the later stuff Luke is not at conflict with himself whatsoever like he's he's just he's Obi-Wan Kenobi right he's, mm-hmm. he's the best Jedi ever but <laughs> uh, in in this point in time that's what people wanted to see they wanted to see him like you know in his Hamlet uh, attire <laughs> asking whether or not existence is worthwhile and trying to bring back the Jedi so um, anyways we have talked to this together <laughs> Let's, uh, let's... Do you have, does anyone else do you have anything else to say there? Oh, I do have. Maybe, uh, Mike, maybe you can tell me about sure. Star Wars: The Courtship of Princess Leia. So this is a really weird uh, circumstance. I so after reading um, Dark Empire, yeah, I, I this I remembered back. I'm like, oh, the only book, the only um, like additional Star Wars material I'd ever read was The Courtship of Princess Leia, which had been a book that was sitting on my shelf as a child most of my childhood that I never read because the title is The Courtship of Princess Leia. Um, yeah, as a boy, you didn't want to read a book about Princess Leia. Right. And at some didn't point... Didn't even know what courtship meant. At some <laughs> point, um, at some point it, got, it got sold or whatever. Um, and then as I was reading this, I was remembering back to it. I was remembering like, oh, I read it and I enjoyed it. And I remember I read it because I had heard, oh, Courtship of Princess Leia is one of the best of those books. <laughs> Um, and I was thinking about that as I was walking down the street, having just read this, and I found this copy of the book, and I'm holding my hands right now, uh, The Courtship of Princess Leia, just sitting in one of those free library things. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, well, that is a sign from the stars. And so I grabbed it, and it's the here right now. the will of the force that that book come into your possession. <laughs> so I was hoping to uh, get around to reading it um, before we were talking here and to see if it was actually as good as I remembered or as good as it had been recommended, but I have not yet. But uh... Well, it's funny that you that you painted in that light because I think in the Star Wars community, it's con- it's, it is possibly the most reviled oh. <laughs> of that era. Because, because like, people talk about it like it's... It's this weird, like, Harlequin romance novel in the right. middle of the that, Star Wars universe. Isn't that but... episode two? <laughs> yeah, well, I, that's what episode two tried to be. And... 
I, now, don't, I don't know that there's any romance in episode two. To be fair, there are, there are um, lines of dialogue in here from Han Solo that at least sound consistent with like the Han way Solo. Han Solo. Look, with Han Solo were familiar. If you with. want, if you want a good Star Wars novel reading experience, I recommend picking up the uh, the Adventures of Han Solo, which mm-hmm. is a three book series. Books uh, published uh, in 1978, just after the movie, mm. uh, and they're they're all, all three are written by Brian Daly, and they're adventure pulp novellas. Oh. It's three novellas, <laughs> and they're they're about Han Solo before Star Wars, mm. like what kind of a guy he was cool. before that. Yeah. And they are they're swashbuckling pirate stories that just happen to to take place in space. I mean, uh, one is called Han Solo and the Lost Legacy, in which he is literally trying to beat some pirates to the uh, lost uh, <laughs> treasure like trove of, of some in ancient... Tying Harrison's Ford up his other movie franchise. <laughs> no, but, but, it, but this predates his other movie franchise, right? Oh, yeah, I guess right? you're right. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. yeah it's, uh, it's, it's interesting because there are definitely shades of Indiana Jones in there, That's but... But yeah, he he'd come to play that character later. Yeah. That Those are my favorite Star Wars books, um, but... So much of the expanded universe is just so all over the place. It's very difficult to lend any of it any real credence because, like, no, especially in this era, nobody was talking to one another, right? Mm. I, I, somebody may have read parts of of one of an uh, like of another book and gone, oh, I'm going to borrow that character. Like Ed Two Hundred Nine doesn't make another appearance in another comic book. The Viper Droids do not show up ever again. <laughs> uh, no, very little. The E Wings never show up again, and and oh, they're right. they're touted in this book as being as, so advanced. As yeah. yeah, like these are the these are the the successor to the X Wing, yeah. which was like the greatest starfighter ever. They're like, not this even is an X Wing versus Tie Fighter, are they? But you know, <laughs> no, that they're, happens... they're not really in anything. They show up in the first Rogue Squadron video game. That's Anytime <laughs> any writer takes over a superhero title, they yeah. always introduce their their all new supporting cast, or their if it's an X Men book, you gotta have two or three new new X Men, mm-hmm. um, and then we see what sticks, and then everything <laughs> else is forgotten. And that's the same as that's the same here too. Yeah, he just oh, wanted yeah. to put in his new inventions, his new characters, and with the hopes that they would become. Well, you notice that Cam Salazar comes from. He comes from another story. He comes oh, yeah. from from a. a I was I sure that guy a novel. was going to turn on them at, the, at every point. I think he comes from a novel. He might come from another comic book. But if you notice, all these new Jedi show up in the book, yeah. and they're all dead by the end, right. except for Cam Salazar because oh. he wasn't. He he's didn't a belong. <laughs> he didn't belong to Tom Tom Veitch, right? Oh, like okay. it, 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 he he existed already so he had to survive <laughs> it's a it's a yeah. funny thing but yeah star, star wars is an odd thing and i uh, and and i think that there's there's probably other books that i will pick in the future that i that that maybe i'll before i do i'll i'll, I'll give them a quick browse again because <laughs> um, no, dark fine. empire dark empire might not have been the best for our first uh, foray into star wars on pullbox but um, I think the next one that I'll probably go with is Tag and Bink are Dead, which is a, 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 it's a comedy Star Wars book about two guys who are in the rebellion and in, at the beginning of, of A New Hope when the stormtroopers take the Tantive Four and they kill everybody. These two guys go, oh no, we're going to get killed just like everybody else. So they take two dead stormtroopers uniforms and put them on. And then they're they are the Rosencrantz and Guildenstern of the rest of the Star Wars trilogy. <laughs> nice. They're in the background shots of all these different 
parts of moments. the yeah, yeah. Of, of the other movies. Um, <laughs> but you never know it because they're always like in crazy Something. get-ups. Yeah. yeah. So they cool. they're they're in in one outfit in Return That's of the Jedi. Nice. I could buy into that. So so maybe uh, going in completely the opposite direction next time we pick Star Wars. Yeah. Okay, okay. Let, let's <laughs> jump into yours. Yeah, um, so my pick this month is It's a Good Life If You Don't Weekend. Weekend? Not Weekend. Weekend. Uh, <laughs> it's a Bad Life If You Don't Weekend. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, this is by Seth, the guy who only has one name. Um, he actually has a real name, which is Gregory Gallant, but Seth sounds cooler. I think he'd yeah. be really upset with you for uh, for, for sharing. I know it's, on the, it's in the back, it's in the back of the, of the book. book. But, but just based on the character that we get to know throughout the course of this book, I think he'd be really cross with you for, for letting everybody know his secret yeah, identity. Yeah, he definitely wants to be somebody else, I think. And that, there's, so, a, there's another very important secret about this book. Yeah, we'll get to that. Okay. <laughs> we'll get to that. Um, so this, this book is um, autobiographical, sort of, as we'll get to in a little while. But it's a, So it stars... Seth, and if you know anything about this guy, it's that he he's he doesn't like living in the era that he was born in. He wishes he was in he was born in in the '30s and living life in the with without the depression, of course, but in, <laughs> and with all of the glitz and glamour of uh, of fashion and um, and society at that point. He he really seems to identify with that. So does it, he want does he want the glamour of it, or does he want the um... The simpler times, capital S, capital L, uh, capital T, simpler. Yeah, times I sort think, of and I think he glamorizes that. Right. That's uh, <clears throat> to him. That's 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 held on at some sort of pedestal. But anyway, so this book, um, he he's a cartoonist, of course. So he identif- he loves reading about cartooning, and he collects cartoonists and um, cartoonist work, not actual cartoonists. <laughs> he's not a superhero. <laughs> <laughs> So he discovers in the pages of the New Yorker um, a cartoonist named uh, Callow, who he really, really identifies with or really likes. So he goes on this this search to find more more stuff by by this one guy. And so the book is about his journey discovering him, um, finding as many cartoons as he can about him, and kind of digging into his past history, finding out where he is now. Um, it's a sort of slightly obsessive search for yeah. to collect as much as he can, right? Yeah. To find out as much as he can. And to parallel that, he's also kind of trying to figure out, trying to search for himself mm-hmm. as well. So there's this this parallel story of while he's searching for Kahlo, he's searching, it's like a search for himself, and it brings him back even to, to points um, in, in his childhood, his old house and, and that kind of thing. Um, so he's trying to discover... Uh, where he fits in and, and who he is as well, and it, um, he he kind of I don't know if he figures that out by the end of the book. He kind of figures out a few things, but not really. Um, I I realize now when I first read this book, um, I was doing research for a book that I published called uh, Chuck Jones. Uh, the Dream That Never Was, which collects his old comic strip from the 70s, which no one knew about at the time, and I think probably people still don't know about him. But, uh, anyway, I, I was Warner doing... Brothers cartoons, Chuck Jones? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he did a newspaper comic strip, um, and as I was doing the research, I got to go down there and search through his archives, um, which his estate owns because he's dead, um, and, and was digging deep, and I really identified with the search part mm-hmm. of this book. 
um, because I was doing the same thing, finding um, this this uh, very small part of, of uh, Chuck Jones's career that no one's heard of and trying to piece things together and find out why it didn't work or why, you know, all this kind of stuff. So I, I read this in the thick of all of that. I'm like, this this is me right now. And, and all of meanwhile, I'm like, I love old cartoons from, from the 30s and 40s. Like, I love that era of Disney and that, that golden age of animation right there. Um, and so I'm like, oh, yeah, I like that era of, of, of life as well. And, and But now reading back, because now the book's been published a couple years and I'm a little removed from that. I read it now and I'm like, boy, this guy is just, he's something else. <laughs> he's, he's a piece of work. He, and it's yeah, the same. Sure. It's the same story serialized over the course of like a, a long time. Right, because he yeah he published uh, 80s, right? a book called Palookaville, which is yeah. a magazine format um, by drawn and quarterly as well. So this t- takes up issues like five to nine or something like that, which was yeah he only got yeah like, it's copyright nineteen ninety three through two thousand one. Well, two thousand and one because he puts new material at the back. Oh, ninety six. Um, yeah. So not yet. Yeah, he uh, he didn't. He wasn't a regular every month kind of a, an artist, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah. So I I don't know. I I still enjoy it because I think that he is a master at this craft. He does a lot of things in here that that are essential for for drawing comics for sequential art or whatever you want to call that. Mm-hmm. Um, um, the main one of the main things is he he has this soliloquy where um, I think in the second chapter where he's skating. Um, but what he's talking about is not at all about the skating. Um, he's talking about his internal monologue or whatever, talking about himself and, and all that. But then the pictures you get to see is him lacing up his skates and going out on ice and trying to figure it all out. Um, that is what comics is supposed to do. Not mm-hmm. what we were talking about in Star Wars, where it's talking about the exact it's same thing. <laughs> Here. Yeah. And then, get this, he gets he, in the very next scene, he meets up with his friend Chester Brown... Uh, who's another Canadian c- cartoonist, um, and he, he tells us all about what he was doing when he was skating in the last scene. So um, they could he could have paired those words with those pictures, but no, this is this is how comics works, I think, right mm-hmm. here, um, and I love it for that. He does he does that kind of stuff all throughout this book, and I think it's really really great. So um, lessons to be learned if you're trying to write comics, I think, and uh, it's a good story as well. I, I think I don't. Know, what are your what are your thoughts? Well, I'm I'm uh, I, I'm of two minds on the uh, on the subject, I guess, I, because everything that you said is is absolutely true. I mean, it is it is a an incredibly well drawn comic. Um, it, it it does tell the story um, in much the same way we talked about Pyongyang and that sort of um, the the visual style depicting not only real places but but Seth's perspective and his 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 subjective view of those places. Mm-hmm. So um the whole book itself has I mean it, it's partially because of his style but also uh just the visual subjects that that he chooses. It looks very 1930s and 40s, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and then every once in a while, you get these reminders that the story is happening in a different, in, in a more modern time period. I mean, now for us, a retro time period, because you get like these punk kids, yeah. and they look very much like your 80s, 90s punk kids, and you know, like they're cut off jean jackets and yeah. and uh, and <laughs> pins and everything. And uh, it, 
it's it's really interesting because you really do feel like you're looking at the world through his eyes where that starts to wear thin for me is that i do not like him yeah right (laughs) right so like if he were in the room i would be i mean i i have friends like this guy and i think that's probably where the where the where it really sticks for me is that like that there have been people in my life in the past that have been very much of the same sort of attitudes that he has not necessarily the i wish i had lived in the 1930s but just the sort of like i'm gonna crap on everything just because i'm not happy with the decisions that i make in my <laughs> life um and it's, it's weird because the subject uh the subject material is very it feels very intimate but like the mm-hmm. way the figures are portrayed are very everything's very up and down very straight everything is like when he's you're talking about the ice skating scene when he falls over on his ass it's represented very stiffly so Mm -hmm. the entire presentation of the thing has a sort of like arm's distance sort of feel to it yet he's very vulnerable at the same time I mean he draws himself naked so there yeah it's it's a weird and and the whole the whole book is pointing out to us the reader everything that he hates about himself Right, like it, it's it's a it's a really interesting experiment uh, in in storytelling because it's autobiographical, but then the 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 subjective view of the main character of himself is very negative. Like he he walks through his life, uh, both in the, within the story and sort of in a greater uh, larger context, sort of thematically displeased with himself right like it's it's a it's a really weird experience to go through a whole book where where a person who very clearly has uh, uh great qualities i mean like like the the his, his sort of studiousness uh when it comes to this subject um it, when you say that you felt like you had a lot in common i was reading the book and I'm like wow this this guy's like bizarro curtis well, <laughs> like, so like he's got a lot of your qualities about like being really interested in the past and that sort of thing but you don't get you don't get stuck back there right. and, and he is very stuck back there and then very negative as a result yeah. so um, you you represent you're describing a representation of this character which yeah. i think makes it a good time to discuss yeah. the sort of Sure, I don't. I don't. Line of the book. I don't know the twist, so okay. you guys have to let me in on the. Twist. Well, it's not in the book. Okay. If uh, according to Wikipedia, at least, Callow is not a real artist. Yeah. He never existed. Yeah, he's made up for this okay. story. So then, the question to me. So that art after learning the back that, of the book is entirely fictional. It's all Seth. Seth drew yeah. all of those cartoons, including that... coming up with the surrounding material. But then the question from there is. Well, then how, how much, much of the this? rest of this is real? <laughs> right. So the sur- But then sur- it's complicated yeah. by the fact that, like, Chester Brown is a real person, I assume. Yeah, right? well, I he don't is. know much yep. about them. Uh, about Chester Brown, I don't know if that's whether a pseudonym as well. Um, <laughs> but, like, he is a real character, perhaps, yeah. or evidently maybe a real uh, friend of Seth's. So what of this is real? What, is, what of this is Exactly, yeah. yeah. Well, um... Seth and Chester Brown and Joe Matt and I think there's one other I can't remember but they're all Canadian cartoonists that live around the same area they're all buddies and they mm-hmm. all appear in each other's books right. um, when Joe, Joe Matt portrays Seth he's always really angry and grumpy and like <laughs> it's the extreme of this is yeah. really funny um, and then the same when um, when he appears in Chester Brown's books it's really funny as well uh, and um, so I think there's a lot of truth in that 
because that's how he's represented when you see him in those other books. And when you read Seth's other work, um, even though it's fiction and not about him, um, a lot of that still comes out. The same themes, mm. um, the, same, um, the same quest for identity and, and all that kind of stuff. Like It's an ongoing thing with him. Uh, so there's a, I think there's a lot of realism in there. Mm-hmm. Um, That's so interesting because the comics at the end of the book are my favorite part. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you get there and you read these comics, and and they're just every everything yeah. that he says about them, which is oddly now now with that perspective, very self congratulatory. Yeah, um, <laughs> they're 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 great comics, and they feel very much of that era. And and with that with that in mind, you I think you start to understand why he's so upset with his lot in life because he does he he really does feel like he's not alive in the time that he should be yeah um and although like you know he he points it out several times that you know we've got you know women's rights and and uh you know segregation isn't a big issue yeah things are generally better uh in at least in north america um but but there are there are a lot of sensibilities i think that he has as a person the thing that I always find interesting about a person with that perspective is that oftentimes I think, uh, in, in my experience at least, uh, that when I meet somebody who has that attitude of like, oh, I'm alive in the wrong time, it's it's always like, yeah, well, you'd stick out like a sore thumb then though, right? Like you would be, you wouldn't fit in. You'd be like a, 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 a at best an iconoclast, right? Like you'd yeah. just be... <laughs> You'd be totally outside of their way of thinking and 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 uh, uh, like and personality is, and, and he everything. feels it. Yeah. And so he it's it's a, a you. It, it that's why I say it's a great book. It's it's fantastic for all of the reasons that we said last month that that Pyongyang was great. I think this book is is similarly great because you get the sense of of this person and his perspective and how he feels about stuff told both through the dialogue and through the way that, that he portrays the world around him. Mm-hmm. But it's just too bad he's not a likable character. Yeah, yeah. It would just it would be wonderful if he was as much fun as Peter Parker is in Amazing yeah. Spider Man. <laughs> yeah. It's funny because his two buddies, Chester Brown and Joe Matt, um, they also do autobiographical work mm-hmm. and they're also both not very likable people. <laughs> it's uh it's really interesting how they They're a bunch of misanthropes. Yeah. It, and no wonder they're they friends. stick together, yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is definitely, um, as I was reading it, felt to me like, uh, I don't want to say a prototype, but like the uh, the uh, ideal version of that certain type of comics that I think you're describing, which I am not familiar with at all, um, but that sort of like extreme opposite end of the comic book spectrum mm-hmm. from right. superhero comics, yeah. where everything is just so almost like oppositional even like where it's kind of like it exists as 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 a point of fact like superhero comics are dumb i mean i think he even (laughs) says that near the beginning of the book it's like i'm not talking about those superhero comics and it's very derogatory that he's like it's like i'm talking about real comics and it's like well yeah yeah his little uppity view on yeah things yeah and as everybody who listens to this podcast knows that's a silly distinction to be making because they're both great for different reasons like both 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 genres but yeah um it's what i find really cool about this is that if uh, uh, you've read scott pilgrim right yeah okay have you read scott pilgrim okay so i feel like 
there this book has a lot in common with that because scott pilgrim although it's about a, a fictional character a bunch of fictional characters and it is silly and off the wall and not even remotely realistic it is semi-autobiographical uh, uh and and it is about brian Lee O'Malley. it's 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 very much the same sort of book that this is uh but it's it is a likable person telling a story about a likable character right like a, a very gregarious individual talking about like i mean scott pilgrim's obnoxious but but at the end of the day he's the hero of the story and you cheer for him yeah. right you want him to win by the end of it yeah with this I think I think if you do find yourself cheering for Seth, it's in spite of himself. Like like it's in spite of the character that he presents you with. You want him to come to the realization just so he'll stop. <laughs> yeah, like just like just as like like dude, you know, if you would just learn to smile, then then <laughs> maybe maybe you could start turning things around right. like your problems with women and your your weird obsessions and and like this very insular life that you lead but there was but a very he never, he never gets there he, his character doesn't have a, a real arc he sort of he almost does he almost does when he goes to to Strathroy for the, for the second time but he just misses the mark and goes back to Toronto and right. just right back into his life and you're like hmm. It's there, it's upsetting. It's depressing. <laughs> there was that point that bumped me in there, where he basically meets a woman, and then flat <laughs> smash cut to uh, they've just had sex. Yeah, yeah. Which seems in, hmm, incongruous, maybe, or like it's it, it felt very strange that this character. Yeah, it didn't seem very consistent with this. I, I think he just edited story. out the parts of the story that weren't necessary. Like it's not. It wasn't about him falling in love with a girl right because it, it does run the risk at that point that she's introduced of you going like oh she's gonna be his savior right like that sort of when you when you first he sees that he sees her at the at the the reference library and then he runs into her again and you're like oh maybe that's where this story is going and then he goes to strathroy for the first time yeah. and when he comes back it's like yeah i just broke up with her and it's like, well, no wonder you're upset. Like, no wonder you're a depressed individual. You're self-sabotaging, yeah, right? Like, yeah, it's... Doesn't try. Yeah, like, like uh, it seemed like you had a good thing going there. She was willing to help you on your insane hunt for, apparently, a common author that never existed. And, and the thing is, he's, he's willing to be obsessive and put in so much time and effort for things like the finding this, this cartoonist. Yeah. But not of a real-life relationship. Yes. Mm. So he his priorities are completely messed up. Yeah, well, I mean, that's subjective. <laughs> I, I like, guess so, but it, for him, um, it would do him good to, I mean, like focus on his relationship. I, with I, th- his I mom think and his brother. I think or, because because he expresses his displeasure with his own thoughts, right? Because yeah. he says, right. I don't like being this person, That's the but I'm stuck part. with it. And it's like, but you're not. If you just veer three degrees to the left, you'd, you'd be in a totally different state of mind. Like, you just need to go that little bit further. Easier um, said than done. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And and I think, and I think, because, you know, obviously this is... And that sort is, of personal change is what you were... I, I think what you mentioned earlier, what yeah. you were sort of hoping for or yeah. what you were looking for by the end of the But book. it's more realistic being that it, if it is autobiographical in any degree, then most of us, we don't go through character arcs. That's why we like stories because yeah, right. we want to see, like, 
I'm basically the same person I've been for the last 15 years, right? Like, and I think that's the same for most people. Um, <laughs> and, and But when we watch a movie, we watch Star Wars, we want to see Luke Skywalker go from being a naive farm boy to the Jedi Master that he is at the end, right? right? We, because it's, it's, uh, it's aspirational. But, but in an instance like this, because it's whether it is fictional or it, or it's 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 uh, it is actually autobiographical, uh, even if it's just mimicking reality, it does a good job of it because he goes through all of these experiences and he comes out of it basically the same person that he went in with, right? Yeah. Maybe a little bit more knowledge and a, and a little tiny bit wiser, but not not really any different. No, no, no real uh, uh, justifiable change for all of the trouble that he's gone through. And I, th- I think there's definitely an an audience for that. that there's there. I think is an audience who appreciates that sort of hmm, like low key presentation. That, mm-hmm. that your low key story, your mm-hmm. um, your protagonist, perhaps who's down on himself and. That sort yeah. of thing, um, but oh, shoot, I lost my track. I'm trying to thought. Well, I would love to ask Brian Lee O'Malley one day if he has read this because they're both like they're both from Toronto. They're, mm. it's yeah. the, the Toronto area, um, and uh, and whether or not it influenced Scott Pilgrim because I kept finding myself noticing that similar that similar attitude, that similar like autobiographical like these are the places in Toronto, like like. Uh, a, a thing that I've noticed with with uh, artists in Vancouver is that uh, oftentimes there's a fairly fantastical approach to their work, and it has nothing to do with the history of Vancouver. Uh, there's very few artists that I've met from here that that have that sort of an attitude, but it seems to be something something about Toronto <laughs> in in that part of the world. Yeah, that that uh, that part of the, our our country specifically that breeds these uh these introspective uh, uh well and people who are obsessed with their surroundings Tony, I think <laughs> the history of the city i think tony makes a good point um as well you just made um looking back at the era that this was written the early 90s like that was the beginning of um like the the, the grunge movement and generation mm-hmm. x and and all of that like that was that was an attitude of a of a generation kind of as well the introspective and Mm-hmm. Um, kind of looking down on on things and either themselves or society, society or whatever. I think that that um, plays yeah, into it. And if and if we're seeing, I mean, you probably know a lot more about this than I do. But um, if we're seeing um, a lot of those same type of comics come out of Ontario, um, I we can only assume that those guys were. Well, I mean, hey, there they are, uh, spending time together, right. influencing all, each they're other. They're also all published by the same publisher. Mm. Right, so, right. Sharing tastes, sharing their influences, yes. sharing experiences. I mean, you've seen it happen in, or I've seen it happen in, in other circles where things are stylistically very similar mm-hmm. um, between different artists and stuff. Um, I mean, I, I'm, I'm sure it's just a product of yeah. the social circle. Yeah, the time. Oh, yeah, for sure. It was pretty, I was interested... Um, I have to. I had to keep reminding myself, reading this, that they had, they would have had either very limited or no internet at the time. Right. So the idea of reading a book about a man on this type of search, um, I think, would have read very differently than than it would have 
now, <laughs> similar to Star Wars. We read very differently <laughs> then than we yeah. now. What with all our prequels and so yeah. forth. This is also um, this was the very this was one of the first. It might have been actually the first Canadian artist or cartoonist to publish a long format graphic novel because mm. it was published back in the nineties. Um, I still hear people saying, "Oh, the graphic novel is a new thing." <laughs> right. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, and Will Eisner coined that phrase back in the, the late 70s, I think. And this one, it, he calls it a picture novella. He right. doesn't even, I mean, um, that might be because he's too snooty for graphic <laughs> yeah, novel. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> it's just a pretentious word for graphic but, novel. But um, graphic novel wasn't a thing. at the, yeah. Like, it wasn't a, a phrase that was commonly used to describe this type of book. I, I, I remember a point in time when graphic novel was actually, it, it, to most people, it meant prose with a couple right. of pages of illustration, right? Like uh, they had done around this, going back to Star Wars around the time of uh, uh, the uh, Dark Forces video game, they released a graphic novel tie-in, which was a graphic novel. It was a book published in like a comic book format, like the same size as a comic book, but it was a novel. And then every like 15, 20 pages, there would be these great splash pages, yeah. splash page illustrations of what was happening in the story. And they and, called that a graphic novel. And they novel. called that, like those were called graphic novels because the only way you could get them was as trade paperbacks, okay. right? Like they, and, and, and that's why I, I try and distinguish and say, you know, if something is a trade paperback, it's a trade paperback, right? I mean, I think when it's, I, when it's I started, a collected edition, then it's well, not. Well, technically, this is a trade paperback then. Technically, too. Okay, yeah, serialized. So when yeah. I started reading comics, um, the trade paperbacks were the entertaining ones, and <laughs> It's a Good Life If You Don't Weekend is what came to mind when I heard the word graphic. graphic novel. Right, and I think something that would be a lot of work too, to like, read. If it's like, yeah, <laughs> literary or artistic yeah, with air right, quotes around right, it, yeah. Um, then yeah, graphic novel. <laughs> yeah. Because that, and and that's the thing is the comics still get a, a bad rap. They yes, they if you say comics, no one want. I mean, I shouldn't say no one, but people who want to do higher art don't want to do quote unquote comics. Um, but graphic novel is an acceptable term for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Something about comics though just means. But picture novella and, just takes it that another step yeah, further right. into like, <laughs> I like that into like, I think it's nice. I don't, I don't make those silly <laughs> graphic novels. What I'm working in is really more of a picture novella. Yeah, thing. right. Well, sure. I still think that that's because graphic novel wasn't a term that was used. Yeah, yeah. No, that's probably more fair. I'm, like, I'm um, a little bit biased. I think. I think. Yeah. I think I have uh, some some very subjective <laughs> views of this Seth character. Uh, yeah. yeah, I think uh, Jake Parker who who made Missile Mouse and is currently doing oh shoot Skull um, I'll edit this in later but figure what it is Jake Parker <laughs> says when people ask him you know like what's the difference between comics and graphics novels graphic novel he says all graphic novels are comics but not all comics are graphic novels oh interesting which is a really cute definition I was uh, uh, I was happy to finally get to read this it's a good life you don't weekend because uh I've enjoyed the tragically hip song of the same name for a very long time. Oh, good, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow, could we get more Canadian? Jeez. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Hey. Well, let's uh, let's move on to Tony's pick, Tail Sand. Sure. Why don't you give us a little intro for this book? Uh, would you like me to define the book, or would you like me to tell you? I, I picked this book because I was at the Eisner Award ceremony where they received so many Eisner Awards and I had not got around to reading it yet. Um, but yeah, uh, Ramon 
was a certainly a <laughs> uh, a consistent presence on that stage that night. So it's nice to finally uh, finally take a look through this. And did it live up to your expectations? Um, I had no expectations. I did not. Um, I did not know quite what I was getting into ahead of time. I don't think most people do, because the, uh, <laughs> the title doesn't give away anything, and there's no description on the back of the book about the book. And it makes... Yes, there's, there's a lot made of the fact that this is a script and a screenplay from Jim Henson and Jerry Jewell. Um, but yes, very little about what actually happens, which I, get, I think it's is... Pro probably because it's hard to explain. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, can you define... Uh, can you give us a, um, the, the back cover description of this book? <laughs> I cannot. No, I can best describe it as a sort of fever dream, perhaps. Yeah. Um, as a sort of um, uh, almost sort of improvised stream of consciousness type uh, ramble through the through the desert where our protagonist yeah. Mac, um, who uh, we we've established, looks like uh, <laughs> who did we establish it looking uh, at Jack Tenrick from from. Uh... Cadillacs and dinosaurs, exactly. otherwise known as Xenozoic. Yeah, um, but he's not actually named in this book. He is. His, if you read the like little scripty right, bits, yeah. that's the only embedded place, in the art. There, they, the they spell his name Mac without a K, and then Mac with a K. Yeah, but they don't actually. No character refers to him by his name, or nor does he refer to himself by. His name. <laughs> it no. would be difficult for them to do so because there's very little dialogue yeah. in this book. But, but there's dialogue, so <laughs> there they, is, they there could is. squish it in if they yeah. want to. Um, so I, I basically see this as, um, for some reason, this guy has to cross the desert. There's a big celebration at the very beginning of the book, and he, like, they're very happy that he's making this journey. We don't know why. So he has to cross the journey, uh, cross the desert. Yeah. And so he, a lot of fantastic things happen to him as he crosses the desert, and at the end of the book, he gets back to the city he's to told he's given some items and he's told um to take this map and get to this point if you follow the map you should be okay uh they don't tell him where to go um and then significantly the main takeaway from this opening sequence here seems to be where this man giving him this quest the sheriff says don't trust the map yeah yeah <laughs> which actually doesn't really plan to it uh further on um right because he does follow the map but I guess he also doesn't follow the map. The there, well, no, nothing ever comes yeah. up again to really make make uh, make us feel like he should or should not trust the map. Yeah. He's got a map, whatever. Um, so yeah, I mean, every uh, you know, spoiler alert. At the end, um, it turns into a sort of circular story, um, where he, you know, starts off and. We open the pages, and he's walking towards this town, and at the end of the quest, at the end of the journey, he is again walking towards the exact same town, suggesting that it repeats yeah. infinitely, right? Yeah, he yeah. crosses a finish line at the end of the book. Right. right. And, uh, it, and, and as he crosses the finish line, you get the same it dialogue basically starts over. Yeah, which is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I it, it's it's a little bit uh, when you when you say Jim Henson or right, you, you're going to start thinking of certain things. Obviously, uh, he had a very surreal uh, take on the world. And uh, if you ask me, the the closest analogs that I could give to this book would be this story would be if you took uh, if you took Labyrinth 
and you crossed it with going back to this. All, all roads lead back to Star <laughs> Wars with me. If you crossed it with uh, uh, George Lucas's first film, THX eleven thirty eight, which is very much of like this like sort of um, incessant chase. Mm-hmm. Like that that whole movie is basically a chase, right? Yeah. And and that's what this is. Like this is just. It, it never stops. He, he doesn't get... Anytime he thinks that he gets a moment of respite, it only leads to an New even more insane yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. situation. But this type of chase I enjoy far more than Dark Empire 2. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, and the, the interesting thing that I found is that uh, we have three main characters in the book. Uh, uh, Mac himself... Uh, and then this this uh, dapper stranger with an eye patch who seems to be chasing him, and uh, and a blonde who is kind of neutral but not really. She seems to be more on the side of the uh, of the dapper gentleman till you get to the end of the book, and then you find out that uh, she's all... actually Mac as well. But and so is the the guy with the eye patch. And so is the guy with the eye patch. Yeah, so they sort of reveal themselves to be underneath their skin. Yeah. So to Mac me, himself. what that. What that means to me is that as he goes through, there's more than one cycle here. I, I, have you ever seen the, uh, the and... Kylie Minogue music video? <laughs> what? Yeah, I'm no, going to bring a Kylie a Minogue music video. Where she goes through it. it it's, it's, a, it's this circular music video where she kind of runs around this, this uh, intersection this for oh yeah it's a, it's a michelle gondry video yeah and at, she goes around it the first time singing her song and then she gets around into the next verse and as she does she walks past the door that she came out of in the first verse of the song the first time around and now there's two there's two right. kylie minogues and they interact with each other and they continue on and this happens okay. four times in the course of the music video before the end of the song and every time like the world around has progressed but it's also it's also simultaneously what happened the time before mm-hmm. and so i think that's what's happening here it's yeah, like it's yeah. he's caught in a in a loop and i if i had to guess the sheriff is also mac oh, yeah. we don't we're, nothing tells us that but by the end of it like it, it, he cuz cuz i think he he's a, he looks physically different as the the dapper guy than he does as as the uh, the 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 first Mac that we're introduced to. Well, and, throughout and the story, we see that eye patch man pay off members of the sort of incidental cast. Maybe we do. Yeah, um, you see him paying them off uh, almost as if they're in service to this eye patch man with a large large roll of. $100. Yes. Yeah. Commonly and, large. And then yep. again, this eyepatch man reveals himself to be the mirror identity of Mac. So I wonder, is he chasing Mac because he's trying to warn him about something? Or is this all about... I, and because it should be said um, that throughout the book, he's running away from these various stereotypes of... Um, like. Indians and cowboys. Indians, cowboys, Arabs, um, Civil football, War soldiers, football players for some reason. Um, yeah, the pith hat, the pith helmeted um, hunter. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, like, wh- what do you make of what do you make of that mirror image stuff at the end? And, and... yeah, well, I mean, it, uh, they're using a lot of iconography all throughout, right? And so, there, even though there's not a lot of explanation for what's right. going on. There are a lot of emotions and feelings, as well as information, that that are conveyed through these 
iconic moments, right? I mean, uh, it's this this book is the best lesson in show don't tell that that I've ever seen. Like, it, like <laughs> yeah. the whole story is visual, and for the most part, the dialogue is is inconsequential or even at times nonsense i mean the 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 old prospector guy or whatever like the the crazy page with gibberish yeah and it's like at a certain point uh his words start to sort of like uh they're they're, they don't fit within the bubbles yeah right uh like they're they're kind of almost in this other layer behind the bubbles and they just kind of spill outwards and that's when you realize oh i don't it doesn't matter what he is saying like he's not giving any information he's just talking he's just a character that incessantly yammers on um and uh, I mean, obviously he, he 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 does play a part in what you would have to consider the plot, but I uh, but he doesn't actually do anything or say anything, right? Like it, it, and which is true for a lot of these characters. I mean the 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 Arab characters, uh, as they're described, uh, oh, they speak in 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 a text that we can't read. Uh, I'm yeah. sure that somebody out there can. Um, and I'd be interested to know to find out whether or not that is gibberish or whether or not they're actually saying something important. But the football players talk in X's and O's. They talk in, in right. plays, right. in yeah. football <laughs> plays, right? Like I, I no, notation. So um, it's – I don't know. I, I think, I think I, when you stop and you think about Jim Henson as a person and the kind of character that he was, at the end of the day – I don't think that there is a definitive story here. I don't think that there is a definitive right. uh, moral to be gleaned. I don't think that anything is supposed to be concrete. I think that the whole exercise, and the reason why it never got made as a movie, is because it's an <laughs> art film. Yeah. And it it's just... Like, you're going to come out of reading Tale of Sand with whatever you bring into it. And, and uh, the best that you could discern from it is that it's it's just an existential look at at, at humanity right like i this is it's a it's kind of a story circle but it's not really so it's kind of the hero's journey but it's not really because he, right. he never he never gets anywhere he never at by the end of the story he's right back where he he was at the beginning but that's the commentary because that's talking about like it with, could... with with seth right like that's kind of what humanity is right we we're constantly in this battle against ourselves, trying to right? get somewhere. And can, can you like is is that the future version of him or is it the past version? I guess it's the future because he's got a thing on his eye that hasn't happened yet. So it's like, <laughs> or well, is it just a sort of poetic it, manifestation? Yeah, or is it a foil or what? So like, is he fighting? Is he fighting against himself or is because he's paying everybody off? Is this other version, the, this future version? Well, my t- is he trying to ensure that everything happens so that what comes about leads to the creation of the the dapper version of Mac? Right? Like, it, is that what's going on, or is he just at odds with himself? That was because my we're takeaway. all at odds with ourselves. And my I, my takeaway was was sort of a. Um, a story about accepting or rejecting, you know, like a part of yourself mm-hmm. or, or something like that. What exactly does it say about that? Mm, I'm not entirely sure. Like you said, then it comes up to interpretation. There are so many elements in here I think you could also interpret symbolically 
that it would make <laughs> a great subject for an English class or a university essay mm -hmm. um, is mostly what I spent my time thinking about. So then, mm, yeah, I can see how you could argue for a lot of different things in this book. <laughs> I, th I think Jim Henson being dead, uh, it, it makes this story more relevant because we can't get the answers. Right. Right. Yeah. So mm -hmm. that, that fact... I I think it, it, it's why it was wasn't made at the time because if he sat down with somebody to try and get it made into a movie, they'd go, "Yeah, but what does it mean?" And yeah. then I'm sure his answer would be as convoluted and ridiculous as our conversation about what we well, think he's trying to say. I, right? I mean, you could argue that at that time, this was late '60s, early '70s, right? Yeah, yeah, that, that would have been a good time for it. Oh, right. for sure, uh, certainly, for sure. Uh, more than now, I mean, maybe not actually. I'm not sure. Not during the early eighties, though. No, no, not during the early eighties. Yeah, no, it was. But I mean, the the thing that stands out the most for me is the art. The, yeah, the, this guy's fantastic. Oh, absolutely. The it's it, you want to talk about consistency. It it from from start to finish has this great stylistic yeah. approach um, where it's half cartoon, half realism, and uh, it it does evoke Jim Henson. It evokes something that the Muppets could have been in and something like like Labyrinth. I mean, some of the characters look like they, they would have been better realized as puppets and others are very clearly people, right? And uh, it, it just the, it's just got such a great visual. It's so, um, so well composed. That yeah. It's just... it, but it plays as a movie. It, it really, like, it, it plays out in your head in a very animated fashion even though it's all static images on a page right it's, like, it's almost a shame that it's so easy to read it very quickly yeah yeah and that's the um, that's one of the um, good things and bad things about the comic medium is that um, it the sense of pacing is is set is, is determined by the reader what if this was a movie it would be a, a determined length Mm -hmm. um, if this was a prose novel, it would be determined by the amount of words that are in a sentence. But because it's all visual, you can spend as much or as little time looking mm -hmm. at the pictures as you want. So it could be a very long read, yeah, or it could be a very short read, yeah. Um, and that can be that can be a really good thing, but also it could also mean that you you plow through it in five minutes, <laughs> yeah. um, which I think I did. Um, not not five minutes, but a little <laughs> bit longer than that. And he uses this great. Um, sort of alternating hard line you know ink dark ink line technique uh, next to this um, sort of ink wash or watercolor style and as I was trying to read it and trying to decode you know the meaning in the book I was trying to figure out if, you know if, like that was a, a key to, yeah, to what to take from too. it but it doesn't as far as I can tell it doesn't appear to be sometimes it does um, like these color choices like in this part in the in the bartender scene everything's yellow and when you go through the door, it's color. And even when you're yeah. looking back into the bar from the color area, it's still yellow. So his color choices... Um, which helps which helps you to read it. Um, uh, in certain ways. But then in other places, it's not as consistent. Like, why, yeah. why is some places full color? And why are other places not? And sometimes it changes halfway through. Yeah, and why does he use that... Um, the ink wash kind of yeah. look in, in places? And I, I love this um, inverted yellow on red... Yeah, that was really shots cool. ...type sequence. Just... Yeah, really good looking stuff. I, I think if Mark Schultz doesn't want to draw the rest of Xenozoic, that he should, <laughs> he should give give Ramon a call. Well, you know I what think... Ramon Perez is doing now? He's taking over Hawkeye. 
Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Spider Spider yeah, with and with um, I think Matt Fraction. No, Matt Fraction is the one who's writing it now, right? Yes. Who's who's doing it now? It was um, it's in the other room. I could go grab it. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, because his, his the art. way he plays with I don't know if it's with stuff. his art. I, you guys keep talking. I'm going to go check that. Yeah, I'd love to see. That's easy to figure out. Yeah, the way he plays with the composition and stuff in here certainly seems like it would fit what they've already been doing, or what I've seen from, uh, from Hawkeye. Yeah, from it's Hawkeye. definitely a good choice, I think. Um, yeah, I haven't read Hawkeye yet either. But yeah, um, I just think, how hard would it be to take this script and draw it, <laughs> not knowing... Like he's this is this is his interpretation of the script. Yeah, um, it'd be really interesting to read the actual script, which actually Archaea is has has published yeah. or is publishing. I can't remember. Is that alongside this, or does it do they come together? Or like, uh, is that a separate book, or do they? It's a separate book because this was okay. yeah, this was pub- I think you can buy it as a box set, but they're actually publishing the the actual screenplay. So it'd be interesting to read that and see how. Ramon Perez interpreted a lot of the things. So, so uh, the 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 two volumes of Hawkeye that I have, and I think the third volume just came out. Um, it's it's David. I don't know it had it. David Aja. Aja, yeah. Um, yeah, that's the rich. That's the guy who. Yeah, launched this title. You can see you can see how I, uh, Ramon could easily take over this book because it's very. Um, it's got a lot of uh, well, not not if we get into that stuff that's different artists, but um, it's a very similar sort of aesthetic. I this the the lines in Hawkeye are a little bit more um, sort of dark and inky, but but it is very similar. We'll have to pull color balance and stuff in full box one of these days. I yeah. I've wanted to read Hawkeye for a while and haven't gotten around. Well, then we've got that artist from uh, from Archie again. Oh yeah, yet again. He's great. He just keeps popping <laughs> up. Afterlife with Archie. He's, yeah. Yeah, that's fantastic. Good. Um, Anyways, that answers cool. that mystery. Yeah. <laughs> Do we... Uh, you know, the other thing I really liked is that the introduction to this has um, pages of the script in behind it. Yeah. And then it it continues through the beginning. Like, it's not... The intro is part of the, 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 the yeah. main comic part as well. The... Um, at the very beginning of the, the artwork pages, um, the the script is still behind and it kind of loses itself and the artwork takes over. Um, they, but then there there are there are moments where the script comes popping back through. Yeah, um, and it's interesting because it I I think that the visual there is trying to get across this idea that the script is sort of animating itself. Right. Right. Like it it demands to be to be uh, to to be visualized because it's such a visual. Yeah. Uh, uh, script. So it's it's yeah. it is a cool uh, element of it that it's kind of fighting with uh, with its own text at times. It is so. It's uh, surprised me how much introduction how they have a forward in here. Introduction to the book they have in Tale of Sand, and how much of a how much emphasis they put on the fact that this was scripted once, scripted oh, yeah. twice, scripted three times, worked on so continually, um, and so as a bit of a coincidence just after reading this I read Adventures of a Japanese Businessman by an artist whose name is not on the cover yeah, Jose, it's Jose Domingo um, and it introduces itself um, in a short foreword saying that this is an entirely improvised stream of consciousness um, hmm. 
exercise or 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 product. Nice. Um, the whole thing isometric. It's all from that same. Yeah, so it's, it follows the adventures of a Japanese businessman, ostensibly. <laughs> you know, nice isometric, you know, four panels for, per page, mostly, um, adventure. Um, but I, I think it's just, it's an interesting, uh, it, it's an interesting comparison to make between this, Adventures of a Japanese Businessman, and Tale of Sand, um, knowing that one was so heavily planned and heavily um, uh, so minutely, you know, detailed yeah. and everything versus an Whereas entirely yeah. improvised story. You because get they the have same kind of results. Of, yeah, they have a lot of very similar aspects, like just encountering, you know, mm. different uh, locations and creatures and characters along the way. Um, and, and, yeah, I, I think... If anybody's out there and has access to both of these books, I think it'd be uh, worthwhile doing a compare and contrast for yourself. And yeah. Check it out. Well, that one's also pantomime. So yep. there's a lot yep. of that similarities, too. It's not bogged down by... There, um, I believe there's no language in it. So. Yeah. That's good. Um, yeah, I'm going to check that one out for sure. I always see it at the, at the library, so I'll, I'll pick it up. It is definitely a little more... Hmm, punk, maybe? <laughs> Uh, um, I find the characters have sort of a like maybe a Gary Basement kind of feel to it. Um, he's the guy that did all the work for um, um, Cranium Games and uh, oh, yeah. um, Teacher's Pet for Disney. Right. Um, That's a long wobbly noses, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. That reminds me. Or what's that um, Gumball? A little, little bit of Gumball in there. Mm -hmm. you know, that, that TV show. Cool. That is a good TV show. Yeah. Oh it man. Is. Jeez, which one is mine? Well, there we go. We have now... Uh... <laughs> Boy, that was a long podcast. That was a long podcast. Thanks and for sticking through it, guys. That's all right. You can cut all my parts out. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's what, I think that's probably what's going to happen when we add a third person <laughs> in from time to time. More it's, talking. Yeah, it's going to be a third longer. But... but that's okay. With the beauty of, uh, of the internet, you can skip ahead to whatever part you want. Yeah. And then... Uh... <laughs> Yeah, if you don't want or to just not listen at all. I yeah, mean, I mean that's your, most, that's most people in the well. world are doing that. There's one guy. There's one guy who's listened to every episode so far that disagrees with everything that that we've said. That we just he just got to this part and he's like, I don't have to listen to this. He just turned his <laughs> well, podcast off and he's like, Oh, thank goodness, more yeah. things to do with. Well, you could cut this and put it at the start. I could, I'm not going to though. No, don't. Because I don't want him to stop listening. Look, look, people, could. you've just listened to this entire thing. You could have skipped it any moment. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, what are we reading next month? What are we reading next month? Next month is a very thematic month uh, for the month of November. <laughs> it's all cliffhanger. Yeah. And uh, who remembers that imprint from the <laughs> the turn of the century? <laughs> uh, I definitely do because it was very influential on me as an artist. Uh, not that you'd know it from reading Kenobi and Me, but uh, that was a, that was a subtle plug for my comic. What? Um, <laughs> You should do the same thing with yours, Curtis. What, you mean Kids A? You think I was talking yeah. about that? I, well, anyway. But I, <laughs> but I, one of my favorite artists, so I'll, I'll start with my pick. Yeah. I, my pick is Crimson, which is uh, by Brian Augustine, written by Brian Augustine. Uh, and, uh, and I think Sandra Hope is also one of the writers, right? Or, where is she coming? Yeah. I, I think I don't know I can't remember maybe she's one of the colors uh, and, but Humberto Ramos this is the more important part Humberto Ramos is the artist on the book 
and uh, and this is where I first uh, fell in love with with his artwork, and 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 it's a really great. We're we're just gonna read the first volume, and we're gonna save the other volumes for later. Which is uh, the first six issues or so? Uh, yeah, it doesn't say anywhere on the book. I think. Oh no, here here we go. Yeah, it collects one through six of the acclaimed cliffhanger comic book. Um, so this is called Crimson. Crimson, yeah, it's very difficult to find, uh, as is most uh, of uh, of cliffhanger stuff with the exception of danger girl because danger girl has a continued life yeah but uh this is kind of the stuff that we're going to talk about next month not just the books themselves but kind of cliffhanger and it's very odd lifespan as a yeah. as an image imprint so i picked up um my choice is danger girl um and i've read maybe one issue of this before there's only nine issues in this series that spanned like a, i don't know five or years or something like that yeah. Um, but it's written by J. Scott Campbell and Andy Hartnell and drawn by the great J. Scott Campbell, who um, only does pinups these days, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically. But um, at that time, was just coming off of Gen 13. So. Right, exactly. So this... Um, it was basically drawing pinups at that time, too. Well, oh, this, this whole book is full of pinups. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> and then uh, our reader, our reader poll. Yes, poll? our reader poll. Well, I should have been... Uh, proactive and brought the email up a second ago all but, the three these three books that we're choosing this month are the three launch titles for yeah. cliffhanger the, the three the first three that they they launched with their, their title list so the third one is battle chasers our third one is battle chasers and matt campbell sends this one in so uh, yet again we, we've got a pull from matt uh and he says hey mike and curtis i have a suggestion for you guys which may be more of a challenge i wanted to su- suggest my all-time favorite comic battle chasers I know that Battle Chasers is not written by one of the many amazing writers around today, but it is a romping good time and a blast to read. The hard part about reading this book is getting your hands on it. The comic was published under the cliffhanger branch of Wildstorm Comics in the late 90s. Uh, The awesome Joe Matarera, a.k.a. Joe Mad, is the artist and creator of the short-lived series, which only lasted nine issues over a four-year period. There is a trade called Battle Chasers, A Gathering of Heroes, which collects issues one to five, Then there was a recent Battle Chasers anthology hardcover which contains all issues of the series. Like I previously said, the series isn't much, but what there is is a great time. Battle Chasers is a fantasy adventure following a young girl named Gully in her search search for her lost father. The story just about hits every fantasy story cliche there is, but if you love (laughs) Zelda, D&D, or Final Fantasy, you'll love Battle Chasers. The only sad part is that the series is left with an unfinished, uh, sorry, is left unfinished to this day. Like Xenozoic. Like Xenozoic. <laughs> uh, but BC, uh, ba- BC Battle Chaser fans to this day hope Joe Mad will pick it up again. If nothing else, just look at this, at the awesome pencil work from Joe Mad. Uh, always listening, Matt Campbell. So, uh, yeah, I, I think, I think Crimson is the only series that was completed. That has a beginning, middle, and an end <laughs> yeah. of all the stuff that Cliffhanger d- did. Yeah. Which is, uh, that's an odd thing to say about a comic because I think uh, most comics, most people's experience with comics are ongoing series. Right. But when it comes to uh, I, sort of these out of the way, uh, uh, off the beaten path comics, a lot of them end up being self contained. They have a beginning, middle, and an end. Uh, out there, which was Humberto Ramos's follow up to, to Crimson under Cliffhanger, um, it. It has a beginning, and it has a middle, but I don't know that he ever finished it. Well, a lot um, of that, yeah, I think they tried to launch so many titles and they canceled yeah. 
insane. Yeah. Well, we should talk about this all in the next yeah, episode. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so those are our three titles. Um, Danger Girl's easy to find. It's nine issues as well, and it's all collected in what they call the Ultimate Collection, which was published yeah. by DC Comics. That's and, the thing, is that it's one of the only ones that actually yeah. made it through the Wildstorm merger. <laughs> Crimson has a trade, um, but it, you have to pay some uh, a little bit more on Amazon or whatever yeah. to try and find it. It's not that easy. So, um, And same with Battle Chasers. I looked online, and that, that trade that collects the first five um, is five bucks or so. You could get it used. Um, but if you want that one that has all of it, the it's like cover. 40 or 50 bucks. Like, forget it. I'm not... The, the few times that I'll endorse Torrents, like probably go go for it this time yeah um, yeah these are very hard that's to find how you're gonna read it yeah. it does seem like they would be hard to find in the library but easy to find as a cbz yep you bet yeah yeah no it's not it's not at the vancouver library i looked yeah. there too yeah. um and if you do in, end up enjoying some of these books uh my my word of advice would be to start writing to dc and telling them that because they're i as far as i know they they own wildstorm they're the ones with their with their hands on the rights that are choosing not to publish uh, uh, these stories, uh, with well, the exception of Danger Girl, which has ongoing stories with, every six to eight months. They put out a new Danger Girl series with IDW though. Not oh yeah, with IDW. Yeah, you're yeah, right. you're right. So I don't know who. Yeah, so I maybe, don't know what the rights. Yeah, maybe the rights are all over. Because I think these were all crea- creator owned, right? Yeah. So they uh, they the the rights might just lie with the creators. That's true. Anyways, uh, that that's all of our picks for next month, and uh, thank you very much for tuning in this month. And uh, and a special and st- thanks to Tony Cliff. Yeah. For thanks, being guys. Here. Thanks for joining <laughs> the discussion with us. That was yeah. great. Oh, my pleasure. Yeah, yeah, it was fantastic. Uh, and you know, you know, maybe we'll have you back in the future when uh, when you've got more stuff to talk about, a little bit closer <laughs> to release dates and that sort of thing. Let's do it. Um, but until then, and until next month. Thank you guys for listening. As always, you can find us on our website at pullboxpodcast.com where Curtis has got some uh, some great reviews on top of uh, the regular podcast content. And uh, and you can look forward to more of that sort of thing in the future. Um, I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, well, I think I'm going to write a review for, for Amazing Spider-Man. Oh, cool. Um, and, uh, and if you want to follow us on Facebook, you can find us there at facebook.com slash pullboxpodcast.com. And on Twitter at Pullbox Podcast, uh, and, uh, and and on Instagram now too, and on Instagram as well uh, as Pullbox Podcast. That's right. Yeah, um, and as always, we want your suggestions for the reader polls, so you can send those in to the Pullbox Podcast at gmail uh, with your brief description of uh, you know sort of why you think we should read it. Uh, sort of give us the the pitch on 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 why we should check out your poll. And uh, and it might be chosen for a future episode. And don't don't think like oh I, I got to send this in and, and if they don't pick it you know that month. Uh, oh no, well, we go back yeah, through the backlog every yeah, single month. Yeah, because we try and sort of pick things that that, that are going to tie in thematically with other with other books or that are completely counter to what we're reading, just to sort of give a cool variety. Yeah. But I uh, so all you cliffhanger fans, yeah, <laughs> uh, we also want to see hear your comments um, about these three books and tell us what you think about that comic imprint in general and and the specific books that we're reading and tell your cliffhanger friends to listen as well absolutely cool well that's it for this month's episode thank you guys for listening and we will catch you on the next episode see ya later Uh